Hello, Kate here reporting from the Beyond post-production. Just a heads up, this is part of a two-part series, and I know it's shocking that it's over two hours long, but if you're new here, that's kind of the format in which I review things and do deep dives. We are not skimming the surface here, and this is hands down the most requested topic. So I just wanted to, you know, A, welcome you, B, explain that it is a deep dive on purpose. It's long by design. It's it's for my commuters. It's for people that are, you know, doing tedious work that they don't want to be doing. It's for people nursing their kids late at night. It's for people who need some company. It's it's long form on purpose. And I apologize if it's rambly and you want me to get to the point. But if you want to get to the point, I would just read articles about this. But if you want to have a longer form discussion with me, I'm so, so grateful you're here. And I hope you'll come back for some of our other deep dives or listens to some previous ones we've done. I did one on the influencer proposal with Marissa Fuchs Grossman. That was kind of just like a silly recap of the weirdest example of, uh, you know, what this influencer culture really means on our personal life milestones. Uh, There's two, um, there's a royal deep dive I did with Merritt Beck. There's a lot of interesting under the influencer episodes with Courtney Kerr. I have a podcast with Heather McDonald. I have a 90s deep dive with Danny Pellegrino. I have a deep dive on Jaclyn Hill Cosmetics, Lipstick, Downfall. There's all sorts of fun episodes that have been done recently that I hope you'll listen to, and I hope you enjoy this one. And please keep in mind my intentions to have a fun, lighthearted, mostly discussion about whether you want to admit it or not. We're all obsessed with people that project this outward perfect appearance on their blog, on their website, on their Instagram. We're fascinated by them. There is a high volume of beautiful, perfect-seeming Mormon women who are in the blogging space. And it's no commentary on the faith or religion itself, but rather kind of examining what principles, not from my own opinion, but from what I've read from people I've talked to over DM and in the Facebook group and articles I've read, what principles within the the church, what values lend themselves to being a successful blogger and how that kind of relates to our perceptions of them, what they're putting out there and kind of the broader impact on the you know world of influence. And a lot of this podcast, too, is kind of speaking about broader influence in theory and some other scandals that have gone on recently. And I just like for these influencer centric episodes to be able to freely talk theory about this really popular space we're experiencing right now in the zeitgeist that is very new and is very much ever evolving. And my opinion's always changing. And I just love to use this as a forum to talk about it because these aren't, these aren't, these are modern celebrities that like E news isn't talking about, right? There's not a people magazine or an in touch weekly or many blogs like Perez Hilton's not covering necessarily I mean I guess he covered Ariel Charnas probably and Amanda Seyfried but that's because it involved like a Hollywood eh, B plus lister if you will but anyway thank you for listening to my disclaimer just want to make sure everybody knows I'm not here to be mean to offend to say anything out of turn I'm here to to analyze to dive to be critical where I feel productive to anecdotally provide my input that in no way represents the whole And I just want everybody to keep in mind my intentions as we go through this. I always, always, always want to be respectful. And I do think there's a difference between like general snark and humor and being mean spirited. And I try so hard to be careful. And I just want everybody to keep that in mind. So thanks for listening to my disclaimer. Hope you enjoy the episode. Love you tons. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I am Kate Kennedy. I am your host, a Chicago-based 31-year-old entrepreneur, author, self-appointed pop culture commentator, who then gave myself a pop culture podcast namesake of my company, Be There in Five. 
with a TLDR version, as the kids say. Um, I'm from Virginia. I moved to New York after college. I met my husband there. Then I moved to San Francisco. Then I came back to Chicago. My husband also came to Chicago. We live here now. We've lived here for a while. I was in corporate marketing for about six and a half years, working in advertising marketing effectiveness. I quit my job to uh, start my company, Be There in Five, initially on the map for Remind Doormats. That then pivoted into me writing a book called Twinkle Twinkle Social Media Star about, you guessed it, influencers. And uh, I spend my days partially working still on Be There in Five, the reminder mat in artwork business. I'm kind of reformatting it right now as Etsy endures a lot of changes. I spend a lot more time these days on my freelance work. I'm kind of working on separating out the branding, creative, uh, finessing of storytelling and copywriting I've been doing for other companies, separating that out into like kind of a small boutique agency. And um, I most importantly do a lot of pop culture commentary. And that's what leads us to this podcast, the Be There in Five podcast whose namesake company Be There in Five actually is super relevant to the topic at hand today. Because when I started it in 2014, well, I guess I misspoke earlier. I left my job a year and a half after I started Be There in Five once it was doing well. I do not condone leaving a full-time job to start something. See if it works first. But (laughs) besides the point, um, Be There in Five, the name is really grounded in a feeling I was having at the time in 2014 in the height of the blogging age when I was left feeling more inadequate than inspired when I would get on the internet. It was this very Pinterest heavy age where I just always felt like I wasn't enough doing enough, dressing cute enough, looking good enough, wasn't tiny and petite, like a pocket girl enough. (laughs) And, um, I, in choosing the name be there in five, that kind of puts it out, puts one of my shortcomings out there and that my, you know, curiosity and lack of time management skills where I'm digging into stuff like the very things we're talking about today leads me to be in a full-blown sprint to my destination at all times, not necessarily because I'm rude, but because I, I'm very optimistic about my ability to get things done and how long things will take. But what I really wanted to communicate by putting out, you know, like my business name is one of my biggest flaws. My ultimate goal for anything I ever create under its umbrella is to be a brand that doesn't take itself too seriously and reminds us all not to be so hard on ourselves. Like, it's okay to be like, yeah, I suck. I run late all the time. Sorry, I'll be there in five. You know what I mean? Like, we don't always have to be met with this, like, harsh tension and hating all of our shortcomings. It's okay to embrace them. You you might be running a little late all the time, but somebody else has their own stuff, you know? And yours just might be more apparent because you're punctual friends. Uh, it's a stick in the mud, if you ask me. I'm just kidding. Um, but really, I want us to find the humor in it. I want us to find the humor in the organized chaos. And I want us to be okay with not being perfectly clean and organized and polished and Instagram perfect and Pinterest perfect because, you know, no, we might not be all those things. But the great news is it's because we're so much more than those things, you know. And in this era, when I kind of came up with this concept about being, you know, more forthcoming about our imperfections, I kind of was before vulnerability was cool. Not that I'm any sort of pioneer, but I just mean like I saw a a white space in terms of how we talk about ourselves and how we let ourselves feel as a result of these inadequacies the internet kind of forces upon us. And in 2014, at this time when I started Be There in Five, I was kind of in the height, the most heightened period of my life where I was probably the most engaged, interested in, invested in, and highly influenced by bloggers of the, the kind of the beginning, not the beginning, but th- these were more early stages, early to mid stages of high, high curation, major focus on aspiration was before we got more into relatability and your currency becoming more of your story and your struggle. And at this point, it was very, everyone's feed was the exact same. It was 
you know, acrylic coffee tables with peonies, a lot of mason jars and like rustic wedding inspo. There's a lot of like chambray shirts tucked into a distressed white denim with a bold red lip, you know, paired with photos of the same person wearing impossibly voluminous scarves in very early fall when the leaves had yet to change, but somehow they were already holding a pumpkin spice latte and had already been to an apple orchard and then only to wear that same scarf draped around their shoulders to an impossibly cozy cabin where they look so teeny on their chair with a coffee mug the size of their face that I don't believe for a second was hot chocolate because their marshmallows would have melted by the time a normal person would have been able to get a decent photo. This is this era of like, um, do you remember those J. Crew bubble necklaces? Like those huge ass turquoise beaded necklaces? Like, did we all think we were Luanne de Lesseps for a minute? Like, why... They, they Those were worn over chambray shirts tucked into a distressed white denim. Those were the official sponsor of the Junior League. I I still have mine in my closet. Well, to be clear, I, I'm 99% sure I ordered it off of Alibaba. I'm not saying it's right, but it was sold out because of these bloggers, and I had to have one. It was the official uniform of a person wearing a bland outfit who needed to spice it up by placing something on their body that was so distracting from how boring their outfit was because it was effectively a giant series of turquoise barnacles placed upon your chambray. You couldn't look away. They seemed to grow and multiply every time you wore it. The thing was freaking huge. <laughs> and if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'll post a picture on Instagram, but I'm sure you all remember very, very well. It's very similar to 20, I believe it was 2014, when there was this... um this plaid scarf that was like brownish, medium brown in the background and just had like blue and red plaid and like maybe a little yellow. It was like a very standard plaid, but for some reason it took over Pinterest. It took over the blogging world. It took over boutiques that overprice knockoff clothes imported from China that literally fall apart at the seams in the dressing room, but you would need something to wear tonight. So you still pay $45 for it. It honestly was kind of a fun era. I feel like from, you know, 2010 to 2014, I online shopped rampantly because of bloggers and because of Pinterest and because when Blair Edie would wear a ball gown to Walgreens, I was like, well, obviously I have to do that too. I can pull this off in the Midwest. And I just, you know, looking back on it, some of my style choices were tough. Some of the price points were a bit high and the affiliate links at this time must have just been incredibly lucrative because really I was just clicking through to people's outfits on Pinterest and then buying exactly what they told me to. And to this day, some things that I got, ideas I got from bloggers still hold true, like the Levi's Mile High skinny jeans. I stand by those wholeheartedly. Apparently bloggers have been hawking those A-gold denim shorts that like changed my life two weeks ago for years, but I probably didn't even look at them because they're $120. But God bless you all for telling me that they're like worth it. And they're the perfect jean short. Anyways, these things I love are in my Instagram story highlights under things I heart somewhere or just DM me. Um, but anyway, I I think that beyond, you know, the, the there's two conversations at play, I guess. One, they both relate to one another, but one is just kind of the concept of an influencer that I think is so interesting that I think encompasses so many different types of people including myself to a degree, even though that makes me uncomfortable, but I'll explain that later. But also, um, specific to this earlier era, when I got hooked on these people, I feel like a large portion of them happened to be Mormon. And I don't know if the concentration was as high back then, 
But what I, for me at least, I was fascinated that that I was, you know, 21, 22, whatever, and could find girls my age that I was getting fashion inspo from that were already married, pregnant, or had kids. And I just, I'm from Virginia. Like I maybe knew a couple Mormon people, but you know, nothing in a, in a meaningful enough way where I had deeper conversations or really understood what it was about. And then, so I get like obsessed. I'm like, why are these people married? Why do they have kids? Like they're still in college. They haven't graduated. Like, you know, my parents, and I guess a lot of I, I, what I believed at the time was like, you know, you go into your twenties, you do your own thing, you get married later. It just wasn't a priority for me whatsoever. But beyond the priority of it, they were like obsessed with their husbands and gushing about them. And like their lives seemed so perfect. And like they've been rich since they were like, you know, married at 18. And some of the people struggled more than others. But I feel like some of the ones I've followed for a while just seemed to like really have it all together. They had DSLRs when we were all still like taking photos on our Blackberries everything was perfect from the onset. And I just was like, I I cannot imagine having a group of dudes lined up who have all just returned from their self-funded altruistic mission who were like locked and loaded, ready for commitment, who like actively want to marry you, who, who are actively trying not to have sex with you. Like this is the true inverse of literally everybody else's like dating experience. Like, can you imagine dating without alcohol? The whole thing was so confusing to me. And I think now I'm still fascinated because I often say I'm so relieved that I was forced through some more like difficult situations that got me out of like relationships or flings or whatever that might have ultimately controlled my fate because I was, you know, in an unrequited situation where I might have followed the person. But I'm so grateful that I didn't because I don't want 21 year old me making decisions for 31 year old me. But in the most of these women's cases, 18 year old them may is made decisions for now 30 year old them. And it's just like I that is so hit or miss. Right. And that's why we've seen a lot of people stay with their husbands. A lot of people leave. A lot of the newer ones I follow are kind of still in the thick of it in their mid-20s. And I just wonder, did you have it all figured out when you were that young? Like, was it a good idea to get married that early? This has like nothing to do with the religion itself, but just the principle of getting married really young. I think it works for some people. I think it works for people that have known each other like their whole lives. I think it's necessary in the context of of military and deployment sometimes. There might be citizenship issues. I don't know. There's, There's obviously extenuating circumstances that warrant early marriage, and it does work for a lot of people. But... In my own experience, and granted, I've been in a relationship since I was, you know, in my early to mid 20s. And very consciously at the time, we kind of like grew in parallel and didn't overly intertwine our lives. We didn't live together that quickly. We just kind of grew together and didn't grow apart. And I kind of think that's just the way it goes either way. But like I started a business, Greg went to grad school, like we very much were independent. But it like, honestly, I don't have a regret in the world because I got to do everything I wanted to do. And I, if like in in our twenties, if he had to move for work, cool, he could have moved for work, but I wouldn't have had to go with him. We would have figured it out long distance. And I know that maybe sounds weird and selfish, but like, I do think that there's, your twenties are such, it's a precious, invaluable time of self-discovery, of trying things with low risk, of the charm of not needing much money or not needing a lot of stuff and being able to rent and being more mobile. And I just think we're all in such a hurry to grow up so fast sometimes that we don't harness that time for how beautiful it is in terms of discovery. And even though 
it again, it's fine if people get married young. It's worked for a lot of my friends. I just like would never ever take back as difficult as, as it was, as much torment and moving and job changing and whatever went on at that time. I just feel so grateful that I got to do things that I wanted and uh, by my own accord and that I wasn't forced to be making decisions based on somebody else's fate or future before I even had my own figured out. And granted, I'm still figuring it out now, but like if I had to move to like a really small town for Greg's job, you know, I might've been charmed a year or two into our relationship, but now 10 years later, I'd be like, that sucked. Like, I wish we could have lived in New York longer. I wish we could have lived in Chicago longer. I wish I could have done X, Y, or Z. And I think that, you know, from what I've read that I'll get into in the Mormon church, especially, um, you know, what's so great is the, the, the reverence for being a mother and for having children. And um, Jen Atkin is quoted in the Allure article that I'll read later saying, like, it's such a priority for women to be in the home and to stay home that it, blogging is an incredible creative outlet for people that have these great skill sets that maybe aren't feeling comfortable working outside the home. And I know that probably feels what she's talking about is maybe more extreme or fundamental, but because, you know, the bloggers you follow like Rachel and Amber, et cetera, like obviously work a lot and work a lot outside the home and actually are probably the primary breadwinners, which completely flips that narrative around. But I'd say that's a more recent thing because at the beginning, it's all about their the hubbies and what they're doing. And I also want to be clear, like I give so much credit where credit is due to anybody that crushes it at their job and is able to especially monetize a platform in uh, in kind of a category that's unprecedented. There wasn't really a roadmap or blueprint for how to make this influencer thing work, for how a blogger can make a living. And I don't care who you are, where you're from, what you did, making it on your own in the wild west of social media to me is incredibly impressive and deserves a lot of credit. I actually do want to start by start by I'm like 20 minutes in. I asked people throughout the podcast, I'll say things that people in the Facebook group told me because they are very interested in this topic and follow a lot more people than I do. So I'll focus some on some of the people I, you know, really enjoy and think have done, you know, interesting things that kind of speak to, some of the characteristics we're going to walk through, but also I want to like nod to the people that I might not be able to speak as well to that. Um, the BTI five listeners were kind enough to tell me that they love to follow. I think I wrote it down. If it was mentioned more than twice, I don't remember to be honest. If I forgot your fave blogger, I'm very sorry. Well, to start out mine, the people I'm probably going to talk about the most are like, uh, are Rachel Parcell of Pink Peonies, Amber Filler Clark of Barefoot Blonde. Rachel has Rachel Parcell Collection as her business that's evolved from the blogging empire. Yeah, I'll talk about. Yeah, I'll get you a nice floral A-lined covered button dress. <laughs> um, and Amber has Barefoot Blonde like hair extensions that I think like really do well, like two hundred dollars a pop. Or Rachel's dresses, I guess. Those are like my two favorites that I'll talk about. Uh, I think Sydney from the Daybook was kind of my gateway blogger. People I really enjoy following. And then we'll see where this goes because I just kind of want to be able to freely talk because we'll see what comes out. So I, I love those three. Um, I more recently have gotten into Jordan Page. Um, a lot of my listeners liked Carol Lauren. Um 
I mean, we all love all the Scala sisters. I, uh, I'm obsessed with their pilot they filmed for Netflix. It's in my outline. I will get to it. Um, <laughs> you guys are like, stop saying you're about to talk about something and just talk about it. Uh, but I just like if I bring up something and then I pass over, I just want you to know if I'm going to bring it up later because this will probably be over two hours long. But great for you guys that have long commutes. Um, people mentioned Jalen Schroeder. She left the church, I think, about two weeks ago. Um, and she's kind of known for, I think, her like lip sense empire, which, you know, not my fave. Um, people mentioned, oh, well, like Shannon from Bird a la Mode has an entire thread on my Facebook group. Not that it's like mean, but I think she's kind of known for putting her children maybe in precarious situations that people don't always love. Again, I don't follow her, so I'm not sure. And it seems like a lot to take on. So it wasn't taking that on for this podcast, but uh, take from that what you will that people thought it might take an entire separate episode. There was mention of um, Hungry Runner Girl, Twist Me Pretty. Uh, who am I missing? I think that... Um, Sassy red lipstick might be Mormon, but I wouldn't actually, uh, she, she's pregnant, but I don't know if I, I don't kind of classify her in this realm, but I, I do, who I do classify are the people that I'm going to talk about later on, potentially in part two, which are, um, the freckled foxes story of, I want to have like kind of a separate piece. That's like, okay, after we talk about like my favorites, my, where I'm conflicted, what aspects of the Mormon church maybe correlate to um being a great blogger like you know how do we feel about it all that stuff i want to have a separate piece of this where i talk through the freckled foxes situation um paul swenson's disappearance and death and um brit lamore had a very bizarre situation when she married somebody she did not know very well and she got divorced quickly for very sad circumstances and um i i think those are really interesting stories to talk through I, even though i don't love like talking through crime as if it's jews they're real people but those are highly publicized situations that i think are really interesting to discuss because it kind of shows you the you know the other side of all of this right like uh, the other side of perfection i think that's like an important thing to cover along with the you know the, the beautiful new construction and the shiny marble and the uh, you know, nice chompers um, comes the, the the dark side of the, the opioid crisis in Utah, the suicide rates of how this this immense pressure for perfection ultimately can wear on people. And I think that's an important thing to discuss, be aware of. But I just don't want to like hopscotch between, you know, Rachel Parcells packing package receiving room and then like somebody's tragedy. Um but anyway, so those are a bunch of the people mentioned in the Facebook group. But honestly, if you want to hear more of them or get the more comprehensive list or like figure out who you should follow, um, join Be There in Five's totally casual, breezy Facebook group. And uh, if you answer the question detailed and don't say Taylor Swift, Meghan Markle or Mormon mommy bloggers, like it can't be an overarching topic. Say like a specific thing I like said or whatever that would make me know you listen to the podcast and I will let you in. Um, it's not exclusive for being exclusive sake. It's exclusive because I'm trying to keep it troll free. I'm trying to keep it nice. And I do police it for uh, productive commentary that is, uh, you know, snarky, but not mean spirited. I don't like when things get mean. I don't want my name on that. And I don't want anybody feeling like they're being ganged up on in like a larger group by any stretch. That is not my style. Okay, so let's get into it. I mean, my obsession really started with being like, oh, my gosh, you're so young so beautiful you have so many kids you know growing up in a system that's fairly inflexible and never getting to try anything experimentally only to grow up and be like hmm what's that like it's a feeling of repression you want options right i think options yield a better result than constantly restricting and shielding people from things generally speaking i mean here's the thing i it, regardless of what i'm talking about it's you know whether i've gotten from 
sources, you know, I've talked to a lot of people on Instagram and Facebook that were like, I'm a Mormon or I'm ex-Mormon. Feel free to ask me questions. And I've had interesting conversations. And a lot of stuff I do and don't agree with, but it's less about the religion and more about like, I don't care if you're a woman and you make the decision of the thing that I don't agree with. Fine. All I want to make sure of is that you have the choice. That's all I ever want for any any human, really, especially women in uh, situations, organizations, you know, constructs that traditionally don't see them as equal in the household. I just want to make sure everybody's options are available to them. And then from there on out, what you decide to do is totally up to you. And so I never want to come across as judgmental. I just always, you know, that that is my priority. But anyway, um, you know, broader, broader things aside, kind of near, neither here nor there. I, I did kind of dip out of this like blogger world for a little bit. This past year, I got like re-obsessed specifically because of Rachel and Amber's home build, that FU new construction money. You guys know I love a gratuitous butler's pantry that's bigger than my apartment. You know I love a package receiving room. You know that I love when somebody builds a playhouse replica of their huge ass home inside their huge ass home and a huge ass playroom that's like perfectly to scale. I am horrified and delighted. I can't decide. I mean, that this is this is the conundrum of influencers. Am I horrified and cringing at the opulence, the, the needless displays of wealth? Or am I delighting in them? Because like, who wouldn't want to live, you know, in a beautiful home and give their kids a playhouse and a, essentially a compound? Like, you know, I don't get sent as much free stuff as Rachel, but, you know, if I did... Having a package receiving room in my alcove would be chill. I wouldn't complain. I mean, you know, creeps like me will, you know, tap the photo, see who's tagged, look at the designer, then do a deep dive into the designer, see who who made the tile that the designer put in the blogger's house. And I will go online and look at the price of each tile, I'll only to find that it's only for interior designers to know. So then I'll have to go deep into other forums where designers have commented on, on average, how much these tiles cost. And when I tell you, Hundreds of dollars per tile, and the but tile by definition means you are putting several individual pieces to cover up a surface. And doing these, the math in my head, I just like, you know, I think too, I talk about, I, I try to separate a lot throughout this podcast, like what's me projecting, what's my own situation affecting how I think, and what's just empirically bizarre. And I think for me, especially in a, in a time when I'm like, you know, trying to figure out how to make money and monetize my platforms. And I'm on phone calls about $250 that ultimately fall through. And one tile in this person's butler's pantry costs more than the tiny podcast ad fee I'm trying to get, you know, back in like last year. I was just like, are you kidding me? Like, how is this so easy for some people? And how do they so not see that this is this is a lot of money for a lot of people who are following them and who made them famous and who made them get a lot of money? And like, it's, it's like, is it bad? If, if that's your life, is it bad to share it? Like, shouldn't you be able, if you're super rich and like slightly wasteful, like, I guess it's your prerogative. But like today, Kylie Jenner posted her entire foyer that was covered in a sea of rose petals. Like, like, you know, not just a smattering. It was a full, like, you know, it was fresh pow, as the snowboarders say. It was like packed. It was like you could, your foot like gets submerged in it. And, you know, not only do I send my thoughts and prayers, my T's and P's out to the cleaning crew at Kylie Jenner's house, I also am so dead set on, on 
shopping a reality show concept to Jeff Latham, who does their insane floral arrangements that are teddy bears that are all their children's names spelled out that are like full hedges, the shape of kissing elephants that are like 15 feet, get put up for a four hour baby shower and taken down later. I want Jeff Latham's people to have a show called Take It, Take Them or Leave Them. And it's about what it must be like for the people who are setting up and taking down these ginormous floral structures in like a six to 12 hour period, probably making minimum wage, who like can't even believe it took them three days to assemble a sculpture that's a proper, you know, rendition of the David out of, you know, tea roses, only for it to be used for a two hour party and then dismantled brutally. I, I hope that they're donating these to hospitals. I hope that they're donating them somewhere. I hope that they're, I don't even know. I just like pray that they're not getting thrown away because they're beautiful. And I know I'm a person always like marveling at the price of flowers. I go to Whole Foods, you know, in hopes to, high hopes to bring somebody something to a housewarming. And I can't so much pick up as a miniature orchid. And that's like $20. I cannot even imagine what these cost. And it just drives me absolutely freaking insane. When people have so much money, they're just like, let's do something like stupid and unnecessary and, and hugely wasteful, which I know is so stupid because that's what everybody does. And honestly, I would love to be in that position. But I guess, you know, that's where my personal rage comes in. My personal rage comes in when people there, like there was a funny Instagram story. And again, I think she's a nice girl and I think her family's sweet and I love how close they are as sisters. But there's just like funny things that will happen like. Um, when Rachel Parcell from Pink Peonies was doing a Q&A and somebody asked, are they going to move again? And she said, no, this is our forever home. Uh, we'll be here at least four or five years. I paused on purpose. I want you to think about that. Um, or, you know, when people were will comment being like, your house is huge and expensive. And she'll comment in all caps, this is a home, not a house. And like, yeah, I get it. I get it. Home, sweet home. Home is where the heart is. There's no place like home. Bless this nest. Hashtag gather. I don't know. Like, I get it. Home, blah, blah, blah. It's sentimental. Is that really a necessary thing to, like, clap back? Sure, there are going to be a handful of bullies in the bunch, but largely I think people meant well. And, like, at what, at what point are you just not absorbing feedback whatsoever to better yourself in your vocation of being an influencer that's literally dependent on the people you influence it rejects them the second they have anything negative to say about you. And trust me, I curl in a ball and die when I get a rude DM. It's very difficult to receive, but I don't always think you need to drag other people in that. And I don't always think it's a good look to clap back. I, I have so many different aspects of influence that I want to be able to touch on with this podcast. I, I think that it's such a fascinating industry that is hugely trivialized, sometimes rightfully, sometimes unfairly it's not going anywhere even though people say they wish it would but i don't think they actually realize that they'd miss it if it were gone it's a, a job where whose income stream is perceived as being very gratuitous self-indulgent and unnecessary and especially when the people already appear rich and then they're selling you more stuff and you don't see your eyeballs as a currency the same way you do as a TV or online ads. For some reason, when it's on a blog or when it's on Instagram, all of a sudden you question the validity of a person's ability to leverage their platform to gain exposures. There's all these double standards associated with it. I think there's so many ways in which I fundamentally support it as a business and think that the sooner people get on board and are realistic about it and adjust their own expectations, the better off we'll all be. 
But I also think there are so many areas that need to be called out, examined, analyzed, at times criticized, and to have an open dialogue about it. Because the reality is the, you know, Angelina Jolie level of celebrity, I think, is slowly, in terms of my personal engagement, not to project on the whole, my engagement is dwindling with formal celebrities whose mystique is is grounded in their lack of information they share with us. Their privacy is considered, they're entitled to it. It's a right because their art, their work is in acting. It's in singing. It's in performing in some way, shape or form. And therefore we get to consume their craft, but aren't necessarily entitled to their personal lives. So people accept that. Influencers are a form of modern celebrity that don't get the advantage that a normal celebrity would of maintaining their privacy. Because for an influencer to gain fame and almost that Instagram celebrity status, the people that get them there aren't directors, aren't Hollywood people, aren't casting agents. People that get them there are their followers and the very followers that they have to kind of keep and grow and keep in mind as they grow. Because as I've said before, the, the, the death wish is when they detach and become so unrelatable to their initial audience that they that their followers that got them to this point of fame don't even recognize them anymore. And that's when, in my opinion, things shift to that hate follow. I think things shift to a hate follow when you use your platform to complain about champagne problems. When, you know, there's too much complaint about the algorithm, when there is, you know, a, a perception of you resenting your, your situation and forgetting for a moment that so many people that follow you so badly would like to be there because it is so hard to get Instagram followers. And I'm telling you as a person that's really tried to like do this right, I've done loop giveaways that gave me so many awful bot followers in like 2015 that I think I cycled out. I think my last audit I did on my account with like those social audit sites, it was like 91% real, which, you know, isn't that a B plus? Like that's kind of my vibe in life anyway. Um, never an A student, always a B, but B plus is the, the grade I'd get in my easier classes, my electives, because I wasn't going to like try that hard, but you know, I still did pretty well. And given Instagram, this podcast, the, these things are kind of my electives. It, it really does track. The irony is certainly not lost on me as a person that kind of came to more Instagram popularity for openly talking about influencers. Then I wrote a book, a parody book about them only to kind of have this podcast and platform where I've weirdly kind of become one to be able to support the platforms I built that kind of made fun of them. It's truly not lost on me. And I, I, I wrestle with this often. And as I mentioned with, you know, different types of influencers, be it bloggers, be it YouTubers, you know, their biggest social media platform in the world is TikTok, apparently, but I literally can't be on there for more than 10 seconds just because I see so many 11 year olds mouthing R&B lyrics with their like finger in their mouth to like the camera. And I just want to die. Um, I, uh, there, I, there's just like so many different segments that it's almost hard to typecast influencers one person. But I think for me, where it all started is those perfect bloggers and is that aspiration and is kind of that time in my life when I was in my younger 20s and I wasn't married and I was, you know, working my nine to five and moved to the big city. And I was just like trying to figure out what it meant to be an adult and what my hopes and dreams should be. And like, would I get married? Would I have kids? Like, 
it's such a transitional phase in life that I think we look to others as proxies for, you know, uh, how we could ultimately be living and try to figure out if there's anybody that really resembles a life that we would want or a life that we want to want. And for me, those people, hands down, are Mormon mommy bloggers. I've tried to kind of collect some different fields of thought as it relates to why are so many mommy bloggers Mormon? Why is there an aspect of Mormonism that encourages or impacts their blogging career? Is there an aspect of Mormonism's focus on appearance and family values that just make for better blog content than people who perhaps don't have as traditional of values? Is there an element of voyeurism as it relates to somebody who's steadfastly religious versus somebody who's a little, I don't know, more vaguely spiritual? But an example of a quote I read that I thought was kind of just helpful in summarizing what I ascertained from the situation, but didn't really know if it was something even remotely accurate. And I was reading a blog from an ex-Mormon who was saying that like creative ideas about motherhood are exchanged all the time. And it's a wonderful thing. Like there's tons of mommy blogs that are awesome, but, and I quote, there's another edge to that blogger blade. It is publicizing one's own perfection. And this idea of reaching and striving for said perfection is what is distinctly Mormon. And that was kind of the quote that I was like, yeah, okay, there's something here, right? <laughs> there's 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 a there's a correlation to the way the information and content is presented that just feels a smidge different than somebody who is outside of the LDS church and I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but yeah, I guess it kind of is the relentless perfection, the relentless pleasantry, the you know, the, even the vulnerability I think I might have mentioned this earlier, like seeming a little bit more manufactured, like it's, you know, the hashtag real talk, but not like actual real talk. Um, and, you know, the putting up of appearances that at times you're kind of like, OK, what's you know, what's the deal with this? This is so entirely unrelatable. I just kind of wonder, like, is that striving for per perfectionism, like not only problematic for the social media wor world and the people that are recipients of the kind of misleading imagery, but the also what kind of is it a huge problem within the world of being in the LDS church and competing with people and having to be perfect? Do other Mormons, ex-Mormons feel that way? Like these are the types of things I was trying to figure out. And I think Allure said it best. They had a pretty famous article come out last year about um, Mormon women in the beauty community. And I thought the way that they described them beyond, you know, my lovely prose about Butler's pantries. Um, <laughs> is uh, that she's white, under 30, and married, fit and given to flattering dresses that hit the knee and cover the shoulder. She has multiple children and Lady Godiva hair. She knows her way around a braid. She is wholesome but not dowdy. Her posts are relentlessly positive but never pious, until you Google her name and see that she was married at the Salt Lake Temple of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, abbreviation LDS, which I've already been using, should have clarified that. Um, unless you found out she was married at the Salt Lake temple of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints you might not know that she routinely asks herself while shopping or applying eyeshadow would i feel comfortable with my appearance if i were in the lord's presence i mean that i can't write like that um yeah i mean that's such an interesting factor right like appearing beautiful for the lord first and for other people second i mean you know 
does Jesus care about these giant barrettes that are in fashion? I don't know. Maybe. I, I it's just it's it's hard for, I guess for me to correlate the two because I just you know, we dress up for church and stuff and I love the idea of dressing up. I love the idea of presenting your best self, putting your best foot forward, but tying Jesus so closely in with like hair and makeup and fashion, it's like I you know, I don't really need to be WW J-O-O-T-D. It's like, I'm good. I, I don't really see how the two correlate, but alas, not my experience. Need to understand it better. I'm sure there's a very good reason. But yeah, I mean, to tail on to that, I, to me, it's just like these people are just these gorgeous, uh, positive, beaming individuals that have perfect content. These, you know, gorgeous chompers, very nice veneers, luscious locks of hair, always dressed to the nines in slightly fussy outfits, I might add. I, I'm not, I, I don't, I don't, I don't really see myself wearing a, you know, flowy printed sleeved dress with covered miniature buttons, like 16 of them down the front with those difficult loopholes with a waistline that's not empire. It's not drop. It's right in that, you know, sweet spot of God awful bridesmaids dresses that cut you between your rib cage and your hips that just just makes everybody look like a, a fantastic candidate for a hoop skirt. I I just don't. Th- those are the types of uniforms I can't wear day to day, but doesn't phase them. They are, they are not wearing tights. Not a varicose vein in sight, mind you. I mean, these are these are youthful legs, youthful stems in high heels in their marble floored homes, wearing these fussy dresses, carrying their kids around from craft to craft that don't seem to be messy whatsoever. They, they all have these like handsome husbands that are very like corporate attractive or like lumber like lumber sexuals is that what they call them like lumberjack sexy regardless all all the husbands have very modern haircuts shorter on the side longer on the top i'm a fan it's usually a risk but if you find yourself being photographed a lot i can see that you might you know nudge your your significant other to maybe up their grooming game i'm shocked by how many men don't know what a side part would do for their life i mean if you want to go from like Donnie Osmond to Don Draper. There's only one thing standing in your way, and that thing is a side part. I think a lot of guys don't rethink their haircuts after a certain age, and there needs to be a, a more adult, a more groomed, a more... I, I don't know what the... I hate the word dapper. I feel like it's overused, but there's just a way a guy can do their hair once they're past 25 that I think lends itself better to looking like a handsome, mature, older man and not a boy. Also, I cannot emphasize this enough. We, we need slim pant legs, gang. Like, if you have a huge-ass boxy suit, get it from anywhere. You don't need a nice suit. You just need to take it to a tailor and have the, the leg, the, the trunks taken in. Because a slim leg on a nice, well-fitting suit does wonders for a man that a boxy suit just makes you look like you're wearing your dad's jacket. And you're like headed to your sister's chorus concert against your will that has like a snappy casual dress code. I, I just see when if, if an ill-fitting suit makes somebody look so young to me, as does a moppy haircut without structure. Just give give men confidence that it's okay to use product, that it's okay to use pomade. I'm not superficial. I just think you. It's it's like one of those small life hacks that I think does wonders for confidence, and like a lot of you know I. I play with like my part and my haircut and my hairstyle like twice on the daily because I'm always just like trying to look better because I get tired of my look so fast. But I can't imagine with a guy where it's not like, you know, it's, it's common to be researching and to playing with the way 
you look to have looked the exact same since you were like 15, you know? Anyway, totally pointless other than to encourage all of us to nudge our partners to uh, take a risk, take a chance, make a change and break away now and again from bad haircuts and ill-fitted suits. That's all I'm saying. Where was I? Um, Yeah, just kind of like the questions I pose to myself when I'm looking at a lot of these blogs and, you know, even beyond the general, like, why do why are so many similar seeming bloggers that have all these aspirational qualities? Why do they seem to be Mormon? Is it the chicken or the egg? Like, why are so many Dancing with the Stars contestants Mormon? I think that's fascinating. Why, you know, and then it's kind of like my emotional response to it that I have to question. I don't know. I struggle with so much of it. I mean, especially with separating what aspects of their appeal I can speak to in broader theory as it relates to the Mormon church, the sociology of social media, kind of the art of influence versus what aspect of these women, what aspect of my opinions of these women lies in my own personal interests, my own projections and my own insecurities, if that makes sense. Because I think that I almost have to speak to it separately, though it's a bit impossible. Because when I kind of sit through and analyze this, I realize how much of my opinion of people uh, uh, is really more about me than it is about them. And I think that we all maybe know that intellectually, but until you kind of like sit down, focus and write down your thoughts, which I think you wouldn't really do unless you're a person in my position who's trying to structure a podcast. It was actually a really interesting exercise for me because to me, they're kind of like these I I'm I became obsessed with them because they're these like shining beams of of simplistic, uncomplicated sunlight. When when I'm having a good day, like on a good day, I'm I their families are cute, their homes are palatial and organized. But the, the, the I'm I'm I commend these homes, their outfits, their you know pristine high heels worn around the house, and and I'm like good for you. Who's to say if you deserve it or if you've earned it or the only truth here is that you're good at it. So, you know, congrats. But on my bad days, I'm like, they're tone deaf. They're privileged. They seem suppressed. They seem Stepford. I'm, I'm concerned about how early they get married and have kids. I'm concerned about a, a, an insistence on a patriarchal family model. And I, I'm not typecasting. I'll go through my research later. But <clears throat> I just get frustrated by, like, rampant consumerism and the obsession with looks and material things. And, like, I, I, I feel... I don't know. It's just it makes me feel like, God, what am I doing with my life? I feel Tinsley Mortimer opening the Big Apple circus levels of pathetic when they're telling me they found a low end eight hundred dollar dupe for like a five thousand dollar handbag that their husbands got them for some innocuous quasi anniversary or made up holiday like National Wifey Day. I don't know. I I get so worked up because I'm like, how is this reality? To summarize, my baseline fascination is that they're they seem simple. They are sweet. They are so goddamn lovely. And their houses look like a fine art museum in a non-major metropolitan state capital. Like there's like marble walls, which is a very interesting choice in a in a standard home build. But what is so great and probably what makes for a great blog is they put family before everything, but still somehow have these carefully orchestrated empires that I cannot figure out the logistics of. I never see a nanny, but they've got to be there. They, they don't seem to overcomplicate all of the things that I do in my head. I spend my days mired in the fears of my role as a woman, and I so badly want to have more of the natural maternal instinct and interest. I so badly want to be able to do more domestic things. Not that that's only for women, but a lot of women are great at that. 
you know, I'm I'm good at some things, but I literally burnt a frozen pizza yesterday. Like I'm literally a Shania Twain, any man of my any man of mine cliche when I cook him dinner and I burn it black, you better say, mm, I like it like that. And I wrestle with that. So and everybody has their own issues, you know, like I, I had, I have such a, like, I have the, the perfect, most, the, the best mom in the world and the best sister who are just so good at all the things I'm bad at. And I, so, you know, it's like, we're always obsessing over the things we don't do well. And what I mean when I say, I think I personally project a lot of my obsession is that I think that, uh, these women's, you know, type a hyper-organized, beautiful togetherness and success is just something that I don't realistically think I'll ever resemble just being fundamentally type B, not super maternal and, you know, a little bit naturally all over the place. And I know that so many bloggers resemble perfection and aspiration and unrealistic standards far beyond just Mormons. This has been written up by Allure and there's a really famous Salon.com article, The Cut. This is like a huge conversation on Reddit, on Facebook groups like it's not just me and I don't want to seem like I'm stereotyping these and largely it's complimentary at how these people project this ideal of perfection that, well, I'm here wrestling with all of my downfalls, but these women seem so relaxed about it. They aren't cynical. They're not edgy. They're not overthinking it. They're, they, they maybe aren't rep- providing anything intellectually stimulating, but like, do I care? Do I really need everyone to be everything? But honestly, one thing that I think is interesting is like, I make, I'll make fun of it and, you know, whatever, assume it's an easy job. But like whenever I try to do anything like be curated, post perfect photos, take outfit photos. I know like a lot of bloggers wear fashion hats. I can't wear a fashion hat. I mean, could I too, you know, put on a a bucket hat, a baker's cap, a newsies cap, maybe a Stetson now and again and wear it indoors or worse at night? Like, maybe, but nobody would follow that. Nobody would like that. Nobody wants to see. I'm like, oh, God, this is hard. Like, oh, man, like there's a lot of skill that goes into this. And I feel so pathetic anytime like I'm standing in the middle of an intersection, like lightly touching a piece of my hair with like a popped foot about to get hit by, you know, oncoming traffic and trying to get like a photo of my outfit. I'm like, oh, God, this is awkward. It's very hard to look good. And, you know, good for you if you're able to do this efficiently and confidently, because I know I can't. And I have to remind myself anytime I catch myself thinking it's easy or, or it, I get frustrated when people on the other side too, like think it's such an easy job to be a blogger or influencer or whatever and just be posting because if it were that easy, there wouldn't be huge corporations paying semi-recent college grads like 75, 80 grand, like just to tweet for them. I mean, it, it is actually quite hard to post consistently in a certain tone of voice to find good content, to find original content to constantly be engaging with your following and to constantly build a presence across platforms that makes your earned media a valuable asset in a way that grows your business, grows your brand. Like it's a real job. It's a real thing. And I think we need to stop, you know, being so dismissive about it. Just because it's new doesn't mean it's wrong. Just because people make a disproportionate amount of money to a lot of other jobs we think, you know, should be making more. Just remember that sports exist because tale as old as time. But one thing, when I was talking to Merritt Beck from Style Scribe, who I love, we had our we did the Royal podcast together. I thought something she said was very poignant that I've taken with me, and she said, "I'm under no you know delusion that my work is hard, but I do work hard." And I was like, Those, "That is an important distinction. We're not in the coal mines, but if you are self-employed, regardless of what type of you know job you have." 
you probably work very hard. I probably work 12 to 13 hours a day. I don't mind because I'm lucky because I'm doing stuff I want to be do doing. And a lot of my work is like expanding my audience and like putting fun stuff on Instagram and recording this podcast. And like, I'm lucky to have a job that requires me to work hard that I actually enjoy doing, but I'm under no impression that it is hard work. And I think that's the distinction is that we can acknowledge that people have have earned what they have and they've worked hard for it. But we don't need to pretend like it's exhausting, physically taxing, something that a lot of people, you know, couldn't do or is that unique. But some people certainly do it better than others. But, you know, I also wonder, like, could I, too, pull off, a, you know, mermaid levels of tangle seaweed tousled braid mixed with a hybrid bird's nest ponytail that on Amber Filler Up looks like, you know, a, a, a fun day at the beach. And on me, it's like, oh, you waited two business days after a really expensive visit to a braid bar you were probably forced to and like walk of shamed after, but didn't want to take your braid out because it was so pricey. But anyway, as you can tell, I'm very fixated on Amber and Rachel. But I got I kind of dipped out of the world for maybe a couple years when I was like not going through like a tougher time because I I Instead of like rage against all the things people are doing that are making me feel bad, I just choose to not look at it. And um, then when I kind of felt like I was getting my groove back, I dipped back into Amber and Rachel, who were both building like compounds. And I got obsessed with their new construction. But also I'm obsessed with all of the Scala sisters, Rachel Parcell's sisters, who did shop a pilot to Netflix that is somewhere on the internet that nobody will like release. There's like clips you can find randomly on Reddit, but they, they filmed an entire or entire pilot that I think was supposed to be like the Mormon Kardashians, like of Utah. And that is a show I would watch the hell out of. The rumor is that, so she, the tan France from queer eye is in the pilot and he uses the see you next Tuesday word, which is interesting. Um, I mean, it's not my favorite word. I'm not Pollyanna, but I just think it's a word that is so harsh that people use it to like seem irreverent and edgy. And I'm just like, cool. Um, but I think that he, what he is, he's been, he's lives in Utah with his husband. He's been friends with the Parcells for a while, which I think is great because there's a lot of, um, you know, conversations surrounding that the LDS church not being okay with, you know, relationships among the LGBTQ plus community, which is so messed up. But fortunately, I think that whatever brand of, um, Mormonism that the Scala sisters practice. They've they're very close to him, been accepting him, which I think is amazing and a great example. And regardless of that, the word on the street is that uh they were shopping the Scala sisters pilot to Netflix. Tan came with them, he's in the pilot, but through that meeting, he got his audition for Queer Eye, and that's how he got on the show. So then he got he skyrocketed to fame, but the Scala sisters show didn't get picked up. And if anybody out there, the powers that be are listening, I want you to know. I will watch that show. We will all watch that show. I will. I mean, I'm kind of sick of the Kardashians. Like we need some, we need something new. We need something fresh. We need something confusingly perfect. And we need something to both delight in and gawk at because we're a little bit jealous. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm i never going to for a second say that I disagree with this, you know, way of opulent living i just don't think it's really ever going to be my reality and i'm also just way too messy to ever pull off that much white furniture so you know i'm just going to pretend like i'm so annoyed by it when really deep down i wish i were that person i'm a big proponent of gray furniture i've had this gray sofa forever it's like kid and pet proof it's from a place called interior defined not an ad just a heads it's a fantastic couch um anyway I, the other aspect of the Scala sisters I'm obsessed with is uh, Meg Scala. I think she's the second to youngest. She's in the middle. 
very cute, great dresser. Um, I follow her like via Rachel and Emily and she got engaged, like live stream engaged in like May. And I was there. I watched it. It was live streamed. Then mysteriously, he, he, the guy, I think his name was Travis, gets wiped from her social media. And we're all like, okay, that's interesting. I think she deactivates her account for a minute comes back there's no photos of him but somebody you know and this is where it gets a little bit weird maybe unnecessary but i read it and i'm passing it along found there she has a new registry with a new guy and she's getting married in october and is already engaged to a new guy allegedly so to for me to watch a live stream engagement and like i don't know i think it was like april or may to a person that she then breaks up with but somehow in like a six-week period is already engaged to another person that means like she had to meet them, date them, and then they had to decide they wanted to marry her. Do you know how hard it was for me to get one person to marry me? Like, this, th- these timelines are bananas. And it, it's what's so confusing about it all is like, do I need to be prying into Rachel's sister's life? Like, no, of course not. But she's weirdly a public figure kind of by proxy. And like, it, to live, that's what's hard is like, when you share the positive, when you live stream the engagement, when you tell us the big news, and I, and I don't apply this to like, you know, pregnancies or anything tragic or deeply personal, medical, whatever that happens. And not necessarily like, you know, breakups and divorce either. I think everything takes time. But my point is you can't blame people for caring. You can't blame people for noticing. And you can't blame people for kind of prying because, you, again, you live streamed your engagement. So I wanted to see what was going on, how you, how you were doing, how the wedding was p- coming along. And alas, you already met somebody to wants to marry you again, which good for you because... It's very hard to find people to marry. I mean, it really is. Like, good guys. And I felt the same type of conflicted when Emily um, from Freckled Fox got married so fast, following Martin's passing. And I, you know, again, I want that to be part two. But these are the things that I think, these are the specificities of Mormons that fascinate people. Because it's so hard for the rest of us to, like, date and find people to marry and, like, if we break up with somebody, we'll probably be single for a while. If we get engaged, it'll probably be like a year-long engagement. But in this case, it's like engagements are fast, engagements are short, marriages are quick. Or if you get unengaged, instead of like just casually dating somebody next, it seems like people get engaged again. And it's like, it's fine. Live your life. You don't need to be married. It's not, It should not be a function of who you are, your identity, your your approval with your family or friends. Like, just live. Find out who you are before you attach yourself to some man. For the rest of time. Like, it scares me, if I'm being honest. But again, I'm sorry I'm getting worked up. To each his own. I, I, I am, again, I have absolutely no permission to tell anybody how they should feel about anything. You're allowed to feel exactly how you want to feel about who you love, who you, what you want to do, whatever. But when it kind of falls out of outside of the norm and when we're kind of brought along for the ride, then so abruptly, you know, dropped from the narrative, we get curious. And I feel like this, like any response I've seen has just been like, don't you have better things to do? <laughs> like pry into her life. And I'm like, well, yes and no. Because <laughs> I wouldn't have better things to do if I was like, you know, peering in your windows or like, you know, having to dig up information, placing together small clues. Like it's a Taylor Swift album launch period, but it's pretty much all out there. So it's very confusing when they want us engaged and when they want us out. And those types of situations are funny because people see right through it. Like you can't, you can't just sweep somebody's photos off of your Instagram that you were engaged to, that we watched you get engaged to, and then expect me not to care. It's like, 
when Marissa Fuchs Grossman took me on that three-day journey of the influencer proposal through Gurney's, through Hewlett, through Alicia, with the candlestick in the ballroom, with the deck, the big deck energy of Alicia, who is still missing on social media, mind you. I got drug into that only to have Gabe not save the live stream when he finally frickin' proposed. These are the things that I can't handle as a consumer, but I understand, you know, kind of as an influencer that there are times when it gets to be too much and you're like, I don't know any of these people. This is overwhelming. I'm going to dip out. Is it fair? No. Do I get it? Nah, sure. But anyway, off topic. The reason I'm so invested in those two, not only because they're like multimillionaires, they have over a million followers. They've created businesses from blogging, be it the Rachel Parcell collection, be it Barefoot Blonde Hair. They just seem to effortlessly go to and from church and travel and take photos in the sand and all while just looking impassively tanned, gorgeous. I mean, like Amber, she is just an angel bestowed upon this earth. Like she is so calm. She is so sweet. She always looks great. She's realistic, though. Like she actually really does. She's like open about breastfeeding. She's very sweet with her kids. Rosie is the cutest thing I've ever seen. I'm like a huge Amber stan. Because I think she's kind, I think she's interesting, I think she's done a good job monetizing. And I'm for some weird reason, I'm not resentful of her success. I don't fully understand it. I don't fully understand how she has a full-on compound on a very busy highway in Arizona. I posted the aerial view of that compound once because I found her builder because literally every part of her home build was sponsored. And I was shocked. Because what she shows of it in like that kind of, um, you know, we're in a real terracotta moment as it relates to Amber Philip Clark. There, there's a, there's some serious warm tone filters happening and a lot of terracotta corals oranges in her home, which I have to commend too because that is not following a trend. That is a very uncommon home theme, at least in my world. But I do shy away from warm tones, and she she makes it work. But aside from that. I think I got really reinvested back in her and Rachel when they were doing these home builds, because as you know, I'm obsessed with FU new construction money. I'm obsessed with people using social media to share the progress of their hugely expensive new construction and give me their opinion on these like utilitarian items that like I'm just not in the market for and only a niche part of their following is. So we're all like begrudgingly watching something like that. That's kind of a voyeuristic thing, too, where I'm just like money, money, money. Holy crap. Like. And that that in building involves a ton of hilarious complaining that, again, nobody can relate to because we're not building brand new homes on ginormous lots that could just as easily be like a four season ski resort. But when Amber's was being built, she like her her um, what was it called? Her like windows were sponsored. I remember they were putting in windows and it was like, thanks so much for the windows, you know, at window people at pain pal hey that's pretty cute like paypal but pain pal don't take it tm all right so served um <laughs> but i just remember thinking like i can't imagine something so utilitarian sponsor me she was saying it like thanks so much for the windows like she would you know somebody says like thank you so much maybelline for your new collection of infallible foundations i it would be like be there in five podcasts brought to you by my drawer of soy sauce packets, loose batteries, takeout menus and three M hooks missing their sticky side. Like something that's just like so functional and basic you don't even think about. But I don't know. I just 
I'm again going all over the place, but especially like there was one day where Amber was like wearing a bikini. She's like a couple months postpartum. She's an inflatable big screen in her backyard and her kids are like having an ice cream party from the hot tub, which is confusing temperature wise. They're two adorable kids. There's like one in one of those rappy things you wear. And the sun is setting over her multi-million dollar Arizona compound that was so well documented. I feel invested in every single beam. And, you know, to sit there watching this and think to myself, God, that looks nice. Her, her kids got these like adorable, cozy robes following being in the hot tub. They like sat under a, a, a pergola of this like miniature kids bench with like a nice striped awning. I was just like, they, or is this Positano or is this, you know, the outskirts of Phoenix? It looked like a complete delight. And I just, for one, th that's the kind of aspiration that I think doesn't make me angry because I like her and because I don't have kids. And I think a lot of the frustration lies in how hard it is to be a mother, a new mother, especially how hard it is to have multiple kids that are quite young and how it, it realistically nothing is ever that clean. No one is ever that well behaved. Nobody would ever stand for a picture that long. Nobody is ever, you know, well, actually, Rosie is a pretty messy eater, but it's quite funny. People got really mad. Do you remember when people got really mad at uh, Rachel for uh, like her son was they, I think they were in Italy on that cruise they were with with Amber and I couldn't decide like if they were close friends or not because they took like a couple pictures and we're like, what up, Odyssey of the Seas? But it wasn't, it didn't seem like they were doing a ton of interacting despite having kids of a similar age. Um, I should also mention Amber's husband is very lumberjack cute and he is, does have a modern haircut and he's also a photographer, which it is absolutely no secret that people whose husbands are interested in photography get a lot farther than the rest of us. Look at Julia of Gal Meets Glam. Thomas, I don't think he's one by trade, but he sure as hell has gotten pretty good at it. Um, there's another example that I'm missing. It's like a really obvious one. But anyway, yeah, people got mad at Rachel in Italy because of uh, how messy her son eating spaghetti was at a restaurant. And I still don't know how to feel about that because I don't have kids. And I, it was white tablecloth, but there was paper on the tables. And they, there did not appear to be other people around. But, like, is it cute and funny when the kids are, like, extraordinarily messy at a third-party vendor? Like, you know, should you... I don't know. Like, how do you control for that? These are the things I can't speak to as a non-mom. But that's the fascinating part about being a mommy blogger, too. Is like, everything you do is highly scrutinized. And I know, at least for me, like, with, with my husband and my dog, it's like, we have our own mode of operation at home and all the things that are normal to me and our normal processes. I wouldn't even think twice about posting but I might be do, doing something that's like super weird that I don't even realize or like inappropriate or, you know, somebody like puts a rogue bottle in a trash can, not a recycling bin and somebody spots it out of the corner. You're in trouble. So you just have to be quite careful. Wow. Where am I? Where am I? Anyways, back to some of the um, media and research I've read regarding this topic, because I don't want to speak I'll synthesize from what I've read, but I don't want to speak out of my own assumptions. I'd rather talk through kind of what I've seen about this because I don't want to offend anybody. I want to read quotes from actual Mormons or ex-Mormons or people that academically study the LDS church. Um, there was this awesome Allure article that Jen Atkin, who I love, was featured in because she grew up in an LDS family in Utah, now lives in L.A., 
mostly famous for being the hairdresser to the stars like the Kardashians. She's Chrissy Teigen's best friend. They go on yachts together. She has crushed it in terms of monetizing her career and making it into something much bigger than being a hairdresser because while an awesome occupation, you yourself are not scalable, there is a bit of a ceiling when you are the person doing the work and you can change prices or you can change volume. But after that, it's like, how do you make passive income, right? We all want to be Chef Bros, Mailbox Money. She creates uh, Main Addicts, an outstanding blog and resource for people in different fields of cosmetology, specifically hair. She creates Way Hair Care, the best smelling thing I've ever smelled. I will put the, I will put the um, leaving conditioner that I got from Sephora for my birthday gift. Not fancy enough to buy the full size yet, but um, I'll put it on my wrist as perfume because I like it so much. And it's like really great brand with a great formula and amazing branding. And I just think she's done such an incredible job. She's like always in Dubai doing hair and that I don't totally understand, but good for her. She's one of those people that I'm like, damn, who keeps your schedule? Do you have assistants? I never really see them around. And I was very riveted when her house got robbed and she like put up the nest footage. Anywho. Um, Jen Atkin was featured in the, oh, the other thing I should say that I think I mentioned on another, on another episode, and I'll probably mention again, cause I think it's worth calling out because I think sometimes, especially the popular figures in today's media that, you know, people do kind of dismiss when they have positive contributions, I think we should acknowledge them. And one of the things the Kardashians did is they brought glam to front and center from what used to be the people largely in the background, not talked about essential to the operation but not in the forefront and the kardashians made their glam people famous and gave them huge careers and made it like a thing to have a glam squad and you know for that i thank them because that is how we get the fierce looks of erica jane and dorit on the real housewives of beverly hills because they fly a four-person team which makes sense for erica jane's budget but not necessarily for dorit's and for that i am still concerned but anyway so jen atkin in this article she talks about Growing up in the LDS church and that when uh, Mormons first came to Utah in the 1800s, Brigham Young, the second president of the LDS church, namesake, you know, BYU, um, instructed his followers to beautify your gardens, your houses, your farms, to beautify the city. This will make us happy and produce plenty. And this direction is an early example of an animating Mormon sentiment that still plays out today of outward appearances matter. Your dress and grooming influence the way you and others act, reads For your for the Strength of Youth, a widely distributed Mormon pamphlet. Tattoos are discouraged, as are multiple piercings. The LDS Church's website has an entire section devoted to grooming and dress, complete with makeup tutorials. You are not required to wear makeup, however, wedding, wearing makeup can help you look your best, it reads. And then, quote, To minimize appearance of dark circles under your eyes, use a yellow or pink toned concealer, to, lighter than your skin tone. Use your fingers to gently apply and blend the color under your eyes along the lash line. Celebrity hairstylist and Kardashian inner circle Jen Atkin, who was raised in the LDS church, describes the Mormon look as pretty relatable beauty with nothing too out of reach, though they really know how to put on a full face of makeup. Um, so I just thought that was like an interesting excerpt from this Allure article about beauty, because I do think one overarching, the- overarching theme is I'm like, wow, everybody's so attractive. But beyond that, everyone's so put together. Hair was always done, always dressed whether it's a fussy dress or, you know, a boho braid or whatever, just always done. And like, I, I, I'm still not showered. I haven't even put in dry shampoo today because I needed to get this podcast done. I like walk the dog. I feel like I have no time to do anything else. Doing my hair and makeup is like such a waste of time some days, but to do it every day and to have all those kids, I'm just like, you must have to wake up at four 
because they all have huge manes of hair. I, I wouldn't like, yeah, I can, I can spend a, I can kill a lot of time getting ready because I like it and I find it relaxing, but that's more so with makeup for, for my hair. I mean, I feel like most of us blow drying our hair and like styling it as the bane of our existence and we minimize the times we have to do it. But when you have that much hair, it's hard to dry shampoo like at great lengths and it takes a long time to style. So whenever anybody has a f- consistent fresh blowout, my my antennas are up because I'm like, something's off here. Nobody has time for that. <laughs> or I'm a really bad at time management, um, as I freely admitted to earlier. Um, another thing that I was reading about is how I think this is also in that Allure article. Um, I think it's called Why Are There So Many uh, Mormon bloggers in the beauty community or something (laughs) how's that for a bibliography (laughs) yikes i'll put it in the show notes um a mormon feminist named courtney kendrick said when you come from a patriarchal religion your best bet for gaining power is to be appealing to the men in charge it can be very hard for women who are outside of normative standards of beauty harder than you can imagine in my religion you're not just talking about having to look good now you're also talking about your eternal salvation Ultimately, these beauty standards are connected to what gets us into heaven. I mean, when I read that, I was like, whoa. So not only do you have to look like a smoke show day in and day out on this mortal earth, but to get into heaven, you also got to look sharp as hell. I mean, how's that for a slogan for the LGS church? I did not know looks played a part. And that's like a very interesting tidbit I learned. Again, not my opinion. It's a direct quote from somebody. But what contradicts this, that's interesting, as I read more into this, and I did watch a lot of, what's that? There's this YouTuber that's Mormon, whose videos I got into over the weekend. It's like, fun, fancy, or free, or grab plenty and go. <laughs> what the hell is it called? Her name's Jordan. Ugh. I also, Jordan Page is a, a, another good follow. She is very traditional Mormon, and there's this Q&A her and her husband did. And when I tell you it is, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I like, I think she's great. She produces great content. She's so cute. But like when you're talking about sex and you use phrases like, you know, Mormons still get jiggy with it. I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) we big willy style. Really? I mean, pun intended there too, but I I just, I couldn't with the, it, it, when people speak so, um, you know, so wholesomely sometimes to other adults, it, I, it, it's funny to me because I'm like, we all have the same thoughts. We all have the same awareness of what these things are and what like dirty deeds happen. Can't we just talk about them? But then I'm not super crass of the tongue always, mostly because my mom listens to this podcast. But I um, I don't know that the video is just very interesting. And like even just like hearing her and her husband interact, it was so fascinating because I just don't know any like super devout religious men. And you guys know I love youth pastor good looks as much as the next gal. But I I've never really been close to a person that speaks in a way that talks about, you know, their marriage and sex life and, you know, their garments and everything in this way that's honoring God. I just feel like most men I talk to, like, are pretty sure they are God and there's like no room for another one. Maybe I'm not really sure. Nice guy. But like, I just, I, I found this whole thing very fascinating. I highly recommend their Mormon Q and a, I learned a lot, but then also when I posted that I was watching it, a lot of people that are current and ex Mormons DM me saying, 
eh, that's a that's a fragment of it and it's a very it's like a more devout uh, flavor of it if you will because there's all as with any faith uh, there's spectrums of you know there's extremes of how much you adhere to the traditions how literally you interpret things and one thing i found so interesting from that q a video well there's a couple things let me grab my iphone note i was listening at like two in the morning let's see so the well, the interesting thing I thought with the smoking and drinking, because I know a lot of people are like, OK, so a lot of these um, Mormon women, like they allegedly can't drink caffeine, but they're like pound diet Cokes and their parties are like diet soda parties. And I always thought that, too. But what I learned, thanks to Jordan Page, is that smoking and drinking the whatever. Uh, oh God. <laughs> OK, this is where I'm. Uh, this is the problem. This is where my notes are bad. I think she called it a prophet. Whatever prophet wrote that smoking and drinking were bad wrote that before like cigarette. We knew cigarettes were bad. And before we knew like how bad alcohol was, apparently this was written in a time where like nobody knew that those things were like really harmful on your body. And that this, the prophet who's they follow like the literal word of everything this guy wrote and said, um, were they were saying that like this guy like knew that and since there's such a priority on like your body is a temple and be healthy and be pure that there's something poignant about him knowing that these had harmful effects even before like science did even before humans did but it's not um caffeine it's coffee like things that are addictive so smoking drinking coffee specifically they can have herbal teas they i guess can have diet sodas maybe some people don't um, no tattoos, no piercings, um, like God gave you this amazing body. And if you don't take care of it, like, what are you doing? So I just thought it was interesting when she was explaining, like, no coffee, only herbal tea, but you can't have Red Bull. And I was like, oh, yeah, because that's a that's a real uh, palate cleanser. That, that That's a real uh, detox to the system. Like, no, <laughs> I feel like Red Bull. I mean, I, I, I'll do a sugar free Red Bull now and again, but even just like the taste, even just the harsh carbonation even i mean you know like the urban legend you know kind of like if you get hit by a bus on campus you'll get free tuition um there's an urban legend that like police use coca-cola to clean blood off of sidewalks because it's so corrosive i feel like red bull could like strip varnish shellac off like a wood floor get it down to its you know, baseline pigment and thus allow you to restain it. I mean, it is a powerfully carbonated and harsh beverage that I'm shocked is deemed as adequate fuel for a pure human body. But I don't write the rules. I also, one interesting thing I learned from this Q&A, that the, um, if you do wear mod modesty garments, they're worn under your bra because they have to touch your skin directly, which as a chesty woman, I really don't know what I would do. That's boobsweat.com. Not to mention that would be hard if you were nursing. I hope there's like exceptions in that instance. I'm sure there is. Um, but in that the garments are given once you're married or once you've done a completed a mission, and which I thought was interesting too, that like even though when you're married, it's like okay to have sex, you also are like modesty garmented. I would think that would be when you would get to take them off. But again, these are the things I, you know, I'm just objectively reading about she didn't really clarify why that is um but she says like you know she'll wear shorts if she goes hiking 
that um, even though the church encourages shirts with sleeve and shorts to the knee, like, you know, she wore a strapless prom dress, like there are exceptions. And they compared it to the speed limit, like the like the church gives you a speed limit and some people are going to go under, some people are going to meet it and some people are going to go over, some will go 100 and, you know, whatever, like. It's up to everybody to decide how much they want to push the limits. But again, are they I don't know. Are people going to be really that like honest about any judgment of these different uh, interpretations of the rules if they're trying to make it look presentable to social media? The other thing I learned from this Q&A is that a you pay your own way through your mission, which wowza like these are often international you have to like live for two years. A lot of people like dump their savings into it. Um, I thought I definitely thought these were church sponsored missions, but apparently you pay your own way. And um, what I also didn't know is that the again, Jordan Page's words, not mine. The LDS church has no paid clergy, all leadership, all members of the church, even if you have a job are all volunteer, but you're required to tithe. So, when thinking about how much money the church has, there's a lot of questions around, like, you know, outside of the individual people being rich for whatever jobs they have, the Mormon church, just doing my own back of the napkin calculation, having 10% of everybody's income when there's a, you know, a high concentration of wealthy people in the church, they have 10% of everyone's income. They have no overhead of human capital. I mean, that's cash flow. That That, that is, that is a uh, business model that will in undoubtedly net you very, very positive with money to spare. I'm sure they spend a lot in real estate with their temples, etc. But again, that is a very profitable business model to require people to pay you, but you pay nobody that works for you. Um, it's also interesting to have a leadership model that people are so loyal to that they'll pay their own way for two years to delay school and go, you know, evangelize essentially about the faith to other people in other countries. And even though that is work, even though that is stalling and taking time away from your own life and family, even though you are not heralding something that is an asset of your own specifically that you can ultimately like profit off of, you still are paying your way. And nobody's, I mean, like that is fascinating to me that they can get, people to do that but again if you grow up in it it's so commonplace like who's to say that's not just pretty standard there was some problematic commentary about how fiercely protective the dad was trying to like cover his daughters up with clothes and how he was like gonna get his shotgun out and i was like whoa and i could tell jordan was like this is live shut up um but i'm surprised i didn't cut it out of the youtube posting of it but whatever i was kind of like oh god that's that sort of like the undertone, not I'd say overtone rather of um, a openly patriarchal belief system that uh, the more I read about seems to be prevalent. Again, this is like a little bit separate from blogging and such, but I just found all of these things to be um, interesting. But what I was saying about uh, earlier from the person who considers himself a Mormon feminist that was saying it's hard for women who are outside of the normative standards of beauty and like you need to care about having to look good now. There's a lot of pressure. You need to think about your eternal salvation. 
what is interesting to me and kind of contradictory, and there is contra- organized religion is riddled with contradiction, not just Mormons everywhere. Um, but it's like on the one hand, you're taught that the way you look is representing the church and you need to be putting your best foot face and foot and face forward, but also in teaching modesty, um, you're kind of, isn't that that messaging is kind of like to not put emphasis on superficial things. So what's confusing to me is the uh, in watching Jordan Page's video talking about the garments, talking about modesty is when you read about the prevalence of like plastic surgery and Botox injectables of having, you know, a full surgery mommy makeover after having all five of your kids in your 20s. And um, a woman named Julie Hanks, who's a Salt Lake City based psychotherapist specializing in women's Mormon women's emotional health and relationships. Said it's a culture with very strong ideas about humility, modesty and double D boobs. Oh. <laughs> I was like, that was a quote I wasn't expecting to see. But apparently Salt Lake City has more plastic surgeons per capita than Los Angeles, um, which is very shocking to me because that's actually something I didn't really notice. And anybody that I follow or keep up with, I didn't assume people had fake boobs. And like, I knew they get Botox because they'll show it. But like, that's what's so interesting. Like you can't, it's so funny. Like you can't have coffee or alcohol, but you can literally shoot like a, a you know, chemical into your face that stops your brain from telling your muscles to like constrict. Right. I mean, it's like, like I think that's what Botox is. It's like something with neurotransmitters. It doesn't actually freeze your muscle. It just tells your brain to stop telling you to move your muscle. thus relaxing your face. Um, but that is an interesting contradiction, but again, we all have them. Um, the article then goes on to say that the Utah state statistics, 88% white, 57% Mormon, the highest marriage rate in the country, the highest, some of the fastest growing income rates in the country. And uh, it paints a picture of exactly who is most likely to get plastic surgery, a white woman with disposable income and a few pregnancies behind her, living among people like herself. Julie Han Hanks' words, not mine. Um, the other thing that was brought up is that from an early age, in you know being taught to put your best foot forward, to have a, a, a strong aesthetic appearance, to appreciate beautiful things, uh, to treat your body well, to, you know, and especially to kind of evangelize and spread the word of Mormons. I mean, to dedicate your life to service, to tell people about the religion. The uh, article was talking about how Mormons are kind of taught from a young age to be great marketers. And that's why the MLM business is thriving in Salt Lake City. A lot of the companies are founded there and some of the people that get involved at an early stage, obviously, if you're one of the early adopters of a business that blows up like a, you know, LuLaRoe or whatever, that whose business model is based on getting more coaches and building a team and not on the product itself, which is always a red flag for a scam and a pyramid scheme, but whatever. A lot of, uh, I guess, different MLMs are based out of the area or out of Utah specifically, like Jamberry, like New Skin, like Unique. And Jen Atkin was saying that these businesses allow Mormon women to make money and be ambitious, all while not working outside the home, which in lots of ways is still frowned upon, and that they perfectly align two common skill sets, a deep knowledge of beauty products and a willingness to make a pitch. 
One thing we're taught is sales and marketing, says Jen Atkin. Think about it. Mormon missionaries are always knocking on doors. You're taught to get involved in your community and to never be afraid to talk to strangers. While you're at it, why not ask them to consider a holographic nail wrap? (laughs) That's actually funny. Um, So I think that's an interesting thing, too. So but first we went over like the um, psych, the psychologist and the feminist Mormon and Jen Atkins opinion on the Mormon value of not only being very uh, kind of ha- having a polished, attractive experience, teaching them how to do makeup, how to look nice, uh, you know, at a surface level. Also, there being a religious aspect to the afterlife of presentation as it relates to getting into heaven. But then we also have the concept of being taught to be a great sales and marketing professional from the onset because you're so your religion, your faith is is the primary pillar in your life. And if you're taught to be a missionary of sorts throughout time, of course, you're going to be really great and unabashed about probably approaching people. I think that was interesting to me because like the. MLMs are a problem for me for so many reasons, Um, you know, like trying to rise on the backs of people that the leadership of the MLM likely knows will never stand, getting them to buy tons of inventory that's non-returnable so they go in the hole. But for the 1% that get coaches upon coaches upon coaches pyramiding under them, they share their anecdotal story, convince tons of women they're going to change their lives, that they need to do more, and really they don't need to do more, and they're making these people feel bad, and their existing jobs and existing lives are perfectly fine. But these people are selling a bill of goods that is this lifestyle that is extremely unlikely, yet rope everyone into it and just make rich people richer. And they're all owned by men. And we're just like making men richer on this girl boss MLM bullshit premise that I can't even get into right now. But anyway, I don't have an opinion, though. (laughs) Um, But. I uh, besides that, I can't I can't sell like I really can't. I really don't like pushing things on people that I don't know if they want. I never was good at those wrapping paper things in elementary and middle school. My parents wouldn't let me go ask my neighbors to buy wrapping paper from me. So I never won the Weebles. I never got any of the prize candy. I just, you know, had to hope my mom would slip me a 20 and like take care of the entire quota so I could get out of having to like explain to my teacher that my parents think it's messed up to go ask your neighbors to buy wrapping paper when you can literally buy it anywhere and not wait two weeks for it, <laughs> which my, they're, my, they're always right. My parents were always right. Um, but I even like when I was at a corporate office and somebody would be like, my daughter's selling wrapping paper or magazines. I'm like, Ugh. Like Tony over there, just like, I don't know, put down $10. Like now I feel like an a-hole if I don't get a subscription to Redbook. I don't even want one. What is that even about? Unless it's Taylor Swift's album sleeve from her album Red, I'm not interested in Redbook. But anyway, um, I feel like I just can't identify with people that are like, I, I need a business partner or like, and now I have somebody I'm working with on my podcast who's the best, who like is very good at just talking to people, approaching people. Selling to people and it's just so not in my nature and it makes me so fundamentally uncomfortable. And I grew up, well, in a hybrid Catholic Methodist and um, religion was such a personal thing until I went to those like evangelist church camps that kind of like destroyed a lot of like things of my blank slate as a child and manipulated the way I think about things that I'm still trying to course correct for now. 
Um, if you go, if you, if you have people tell you things like, like are definitely getting in, you into heaven or hell at a formative age, it is damaging. I don't care what you say. And I just think people need to be careful with children as it relates to religion. And I was reading a lot about the interviews or the confessions people do in the Mormon church with like bishops and the way you're interrogated and the way you're supposed to taught, you know, taught to repent at a young age. And I was, I was reading the story of one guy who said that, you know, he was having doubts when he was eight and he was forced to, um, uh, he, there's like this childhood indoctrination where he was forced to make a covenant for life at eight years old that he would never leave the church. And I was like, oh my God, you put that in your brain early on that you cannot leave. Of course, there's no, no, there's no favor of free thought. Of course, there's no doubts. Of course, you're doing exactly what they're telling you to do. I mean, that's pretty alarming. But again, these are, you know, different nuances religions have. Different churches, I'm sure, implement different things. And I, you know, you could say the same thing about Christianity and like, uh, you know, what's it called? Confirmation or like baptism or whatever. It's like, isn't that kind of a sort of a, the, the sacraments or a commitment in and of itself? And I'm sure the literal language is a lot more extreme than the actual practice feels in real life. Um, again, you can tell I'm not a super religious person. <laughs> but anyway, I, why, what was I talking about? Yeah, because I went off on a tangent there. Oh, it's talking about MLMs. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just kind of trying to go through from my research. What I found are the primary um, correlations of what uh, Mormons have said are tenants, values, widely practiced in the church and what would lend itself to being successful and so outwardly pleasant and calm and like very for lack of a better term, Stepford, <laughs> like in their blogging appearance. And I think, too, um, part of the I think what's interesting to people is like they're weirdly uplifting. I think like when you read these lifestyle blogs, you peer into this weird world that like kind of doesn't seem to like acknowledge or have any of the issues of modern living, which, again, depending on the day is tone deaf and privileged or it's kind of refreshing because like the simplicity of, of, you know, marrying and only having sex with one person and having your partner and then having children and then, you know, not seeming to be at all exhausted or have any issue of, you know, balancing your kids and your job and your home life. And I feel like everything else in the media just talks about divorce and work-life balance and how you can't have it all and like how much judgment there is in the mommy world. And there's, so much of popular culture, I, I was, who was saying this? I, re I was reading that so much of popular culture wants to portray marriage and motherhood in a more demeaning or restrictive way. But in the LDS church, motherhood is a very important job. It's very, it's treated with a lot of respect. It's very revered. It's considered to be like the top priority. And something about that, I think, makes you feel, especially if, you know, those who maybe are moms, those who want to be moms, just even women in general, given our, you know, potential role, something about that's like, yeah, it's important as hell. It's hard as hell. And when we're so focused on trying to balance it all and do it all, and we feel somewhat tied down by that role, is there something refreshing about somebody who's utterly unbothered by it and who's hugely respected for it and who is able to present it in a way that makes it uncomplicated. And I don't, and that I probably didn't word that right. I don't want to speak out of turn. I was just reading different comments from people saying that like, well, 
Okay, I'm so nervous about all of this. Um, I really am just never trying to be mean or offensive or stereotypical or speak on behalf of people whose experience I can't understand. Um, but I can't understand as a person that went to and, you know, spent a period of life absorbing very extreme Southern Baptist religious beliefs. I can speak from a person who does feel like there was a degree of uh, damage done to the psyche in terms of me feeling robbed of my blank slate as a child and being told very judgmental beliefs when I was still developing that I've had to spend years trying to get rid of. Um, I feel like I can speak as a woman who has so much more to offer than my uterus. And when there's a too much of a focus on that aspect of child rearing as it relates to women and their careers and kind of the economic balance of that, I get frustrated because you can be like, I've take so much pride in what our bodies can do, but also there's so much advantage to, you know, having women more involved economically and politically and to use the, you know, your unique talents in whatever way you want to contribute to the world. And being a stay at home mother is one of those things. It's one of the, it's the hardest, most important job. Uh, but also if people don't want to be in that position, they should be allowed to do other things because that shouldn't be forced upon you as the only thing you're supposed to be or allowed to do. And anything else is just, you know, falls by the wayside. And that's not to say at all. That's like, you know, the norm or for every family whatsoever. That's just what I was reading in this article that I assume, you know, the New York post or not New York post, <laughs> New York magazine and allure and, etc. wouldn't publish unless they had a, a critical mass, but who the hell knows? My point is, for somebody like me who does not have kids, who's very scared of that phase of life, there's something valuable to me about making it look simple and uncomplicated, even though I know that it's the farthest thing from the truth. But since I'm not in that situation, I'm not directly comparing myself. In contradiction to that attitude, th these are the people that make mothers in realistic situations who are like dealing with real life go absolutely crazy because they know it's nothing like that. And they know that it's like impossible to, you know, get yourself ready and dressed up and all your kids dressed and out the door and fed and to go to work. No complications, drop everyone at school, pick them up. They have snacks. We take pictures, we record videos, they do cute things. We do a craft. I'm in my even cuter night outfit. I probably go out to dinner with friends. My in-laws just come over and watch the kids. They behave perfectly. They go to bed. Then I get in bed with my hubby. I watch The Bachelor in my museum-like house. And it's just, it's, it, you know, that if I was a person who, and I know I will be a person, you know, God willing, if I have children, um, that is probably very flustered by a lot of it because I'm easily flustered and because I feel like I lack a lot of the skill sets necessary, um, I, that would absolutely make me mad. And I know that that's just a really tough period for a lot of women when they're trying to keep things together, keep, keep like you're literally keeping little tiny people alive and it can be extremely trying, not only on your mental health, but also on your marriage. And a lot of people are just doing the best they can and go to social media for an escape. But when that escape is a person living out a similar life phase as you in a completely unrealistic manner, and there seems to be huge gaps in the narrative, like nannies, like babysitters, like help, like housekeepers, that that is what drives people nuts, totally understandably. And um, 
I was reading something else that was talking about is actually a blog article. So not like from a, I don't think he's a journalist, but I just thought it was an interesting perspective of a guy that's in the circle of um, kind of the uh, prominent, some prominent LDS families. I was telling a story on his blog. He said, there's a woman that is quite crafty, not crafty in the devious or wily sense, but crafty in the can legitimately pull off crafts on Pinterest sense. And a few years ago, she was asked by her ultra fashionable friend to come over and help her make a fashionable treat. Her friend's home is palatial and by her own admission, she doesn't really know where all of her kitchen stuff is. So the one, the, the crafty friend goes over to the palatial person's place, who I assume is a blogger whose name he doesn't want to reveal after being in the kitchen. So after the friend, that crafty friend that comes over to help is in the kitchen for hours, the blogger doesn't lift a finger and then calls the nanny downstairs to like deposit the daughter in the kitchen. Then they take a photo, you know, after the other person's already spent hours making this craft and then post it as like a mommy daughter treat making photo. I guess he knows like the crafter who is helping. And his point was, you know, to like a half million people at the time, it looked like this woman and her kid had like the sweetest afternoon invested in, you know, quality time and making treats and, you know, baking together. And there's, but the, there's no mention of the friend. There's no mention of the nanny and there's no mention of the person's lack of work or involvement or even the child's present while presence while it was being done. Like it wasn't real, like literally none of it. So this is where the problematic piece comes in. And this isn't specific to Mormons. This is an influencer thing is, is, uh, you know, life lived to perfection. And when I've between the diff among the different articles I've read in the YouTube videos I've watched, there does seem to be, you know, a bit more of an emphasis on this perfection on outward appearance um, within the church. But I think as humans, you know, this just exists period and that we all want to look pretty together and kind of to what I was talking about earlier, this ex Mormon also says that the way people use their blogs as an outlet has a lot to do with Mormon culture Quote, a lot of us are or were in marriages that were limiting because it was a very patriarchal society in the church and we didn't have a voice at church. We didn't have a voice at home in a lot of cases. We followed our husband's career. We didn't have a career of our own. Or if we did, we, it was always second tier and we were always celebrated in the church for having children. If we couldn't have children or if we had fraught relationships with our children, then what? What were we then? Ooh, that just, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's tough to read. And I, I don't know if that's the extreme or if that's the norm, but... It's a quote I read that I jotted down that I just, I don't know if I really thought about until now. And that is a big, big factor, um, if true. And I'm sure I'll get a lot of messages explaining that there's so many different uh, brands of this sort of familial structure, but that is really hard. And I can't imagine, like, if you're in a situation where you're infertile or you don't want children or you want to do other things and, like, that's, you know, if you're in... If your church is uh, more favorable to celebrating women who can have children or who are moms and wanting you to stay home and you feel like you don't have an identity, like that's so isolating. That's so difficult. But, you know, for in, in any event with any influencer, any person you're comparing yourself to, watching it becomes addictive and it sets unrealistic expectations for you, you as a mother, for your marriage, for life. And it can make you feel incredibly inadequate. It can make you feel incredibly disappointed in yourself and in your life. And it is just an interesting like epidemic where 
you know, we see every moment with perfect lighting and that's posed and it's, you know, it's it's portrayed for for maximum likes, right? Like maximum engagement. The entire point isn't for it to be real. It's for it to be presentable. And even though those snapshots are all we have are are like kind of fantasy does the rest Our kind of like narrative we build in between these photos does the rest. And we kind of fill all the gaps in assuming that everything looks like the photos. And even though, you know, it doesn't, it's still in those moments when you feel like you have a good grasp on this perfect life. It's so it's isolating. It's disappointing. It's a problem. It, it's making people feel less than and it's making people feel like their lives should be more. And I think in, those are the types of things that I just want to crusade against. And that's a big issue I have with MLMs is I just hate when people when when there's an outward message that makes people feel less than, you know, perfectly fine in the place they are or uh, a type of post or a type of bragging or a type of sharing that inevitably elicits those, you know, overwhelming feelings of inadequacy because it's just presenting something that is just not realistic. And I think that the problem comes in when even the poster knows it's not realistic. Like if your life is really that great, like I really do think Amber Filler Clark seems to have a pretty nice life. But, you know, if if she, when you're just like outright lying, that's when it becomes tough. And that's when it when it's like, you know, I feel like it's OK for us in our influencers and the people we follow to to ask for more responsibility and to expect more responsibility because if we've made them multimillionaires, we would hope that there's at least a regard for the well-being of their followers, you know, not necessarily with every, you know, neurotic passing thought like I have that I use to project onto why I don't like them. But just in a sense of there needs to be a balance. There needs to be a kind of accountability on both sides. There's on the consumer side, there's the issue of connection versus comparison and on the blogger side, it's the issue of showing off versus sharing. It's kind of this interesting, it's this interesting dynamic where I think both sides have to mutually check themselves because we need to be mindful of our own personal projections relative to the, the blog or the poster's likely intentions. But they need to realize that their followers, the people who got them to where they are, likely can't relate to their wealth and privilege and needless displays of wealth. And I think that, that that's the problem. Therein lies the issue. Friends don't try to trick you. And when our friends seem to be tricking us uh, that their reality is something other than it is, or when we feel like we're in that situation, it's just impossible that it would ever run that way. But for a moment, we fantasize and we fill in the gaps thinking that we should be living this way. It hurts. We feel inadequate. It's bad for our self-esteem. It's bad for mental health. But at the same time... <clears throat> We shouldn't be using anybody else as our yardstick for what is what is right, what is good, what is adequate, what is great, what is success. It's up to I am such a firm believer in that your self-esteem isn't a function of other people around you. It's not relative to how well people are doing it and has everything to do with where you are and how comfortable you are with yourself despite other people. And I know it's annoying when influencers are like, if you don't like it, just unfollow. But I agree because it's like at a point where you're attacking somebody you don't even know on the Internet, like, why are you so mad? Like, I think that's worth examining. I think it's worth stepping away. And I think it's worth unfollowing because clearly there's something triggering about it that just isn't good for you. And you're you're entitled to be mad. You're entitled to give feedback. But I just think 
like, at least for me, when I just am having such a visceral reaction, I'm kind of like, oh my God, I'm so jealous. Or like, I so cannot imagine being in that position or having that much success or not leveraging my, you know, platform or following and the way this person could be. And very rarely has anything to do with them. I just want everybody to like, you know, I, I don't think this, I don't think influencers, bloggers, images of perfection however misleading they are, are going to go anywhere. I do think the currency has shifted more to your relatability and your story and your struggle and away from aspiration. But I still think a lot of these aspirational people are going to exist. And it's just a much healthier space to live in, a safer space for all of us mental health wise to take a break from social media, to fast from social media, to unfollow people who are consistently making us feel badly about ourselves and to just try to gauge what is healthy, normal feedback and a response that you feel is helpful and productive to their broader following versus what's like a personal unproductive attack. Cause like, you know, they're people too. And like, I know it feels awful when I feel like I'm on the attack on in DMS, like it, it destroys my day. I feel horrible. Like I'm never trying to hurt somebody's feelings or speak out of turn. It's just usually a lapse in like thought or, you know, an issue of like impulse or something. And, you know, I I just really do think these girls are so like really nice, sweet people that probably are more of a product of what they saw growing up and what they feel they should project and maybe just really don't understand um, things outside of it. And I just, you know, think it's healthier to operate from a place of people doing the best they can. And if you address it in a non rude way, I find people are typically pretty receptive But if not, that's kind of lame. But still, you know, I just want people to not put too much stock in in what you need to personally be getting from these people because you're never going to find it from a stranger on the Internet. You know, seeing that post is then, you know, negatively affected by these unrealistic standards that are being promoted to millions of people. And it's perceived to be irresponsible, given that this person's in a very specific situation that would ever allow them to look that way, which is likely a combination of genetics and help that only money can get you. All I know is there the the line I draw that I think is is not up for a discussion is that of toxic influence is hawking products that don't actually yield the result they say they do and is suggesting that they look like that because of that, even though they have a lot of help to get to that place that they are not disclosing. Like, that is a problem, and that is not what was happening, and that's why I find this to be a gray area. End of rant. Please don't be mad at me. I'm very all about body positivity, but I'm also about finding your self-confidence regardless. I'm also all about, as much as we can, encourage people to not compare themselves to other people doing that, because the irony of making sure everyone else around us is behaving in a way that we accept is that we're essentially just trying to make our circumstances, our environments as as hospitable as possible for us not to feel bad when I want us to not feel bad in the first place. The other thing influencers do that I don't think they always realize is off-putting is, speaking of off-putting, allow me two seconds to talk about our sponsor really fast because, you know, I didn't plan this, but it is a wine brand and um, I know Mormons do not drink, but um, I think a lot of us like to drink while we read blogs and really do anything. So what the heck? I actually reached out to Wink because I heard that they, I heard, I hear them advertise on podcasts all the time. And I do like the idea of being sent wine and like a regular schedule because I feel like 
I don't know. I would like to build more of a seller, and I'm on this very strict one-in, one-out policy currently that is annoying when I just want some wine and there's none there. That's a great reason to have a housewarming party. Is there any better feeling than after a housewarming party when you have, like, all this free booze nobody drank, and then you, like, look up the prices online, and you're like, damn, Brandon Brandon makes some coin. <laughs> this is seriously, somebody brought over a bottle of, like, Conundrum. It's $19.99 at Whole Foods, and upon, you know, after the party and I saw it unopened, I was like, damn, Daddy Warbucks, hello. $20 for a housewarming party. I definitely do not spend over $9.99. But if I already had access to nice wine at like an affordable price that was already here, that is one of kind of unique that they wouldn't already have, I would feel like super cool about it. And I'd love to drink it myself. And what's awesome about Wink is you, well, first go to wink.com. And you take the six question palette quiz, and then you'll put in code be there in five, which is B E T H E R E I N five, number five. Usually it's uh, not the number, but this time it is the number. So wink.com, then use the promo code be there in five with the number five. You'll get $22 off your first order of four bottles. Well, that's the baseline subscription order, but what's also great is you pick the number of whites and reds. So my proportion of drinking was one white and three reds. And it's sent to you, you know, within a few business days and you can cancel anytime. You can skip months. It's not one of those things that ropes you in that's impossible to cancel, which I also made sure of because as you know, I ha- I'm, I'm, I'm suspicious of subscription boxes, but I love wine. And I feel like this is the one I hear spoken about the most positively because I have done another that I did not like because I couldn't buy the wines again that I liked. It was always something different every month, which is cool, but not if it's, you know, small production, single batch, and I can never get it again. And Wink has, you'll get different wines, but they kind of have this ongoing pool of wines um, that you can buy more if you want them. You can buy them individually. There are member prices. And I just, I don't know. I actually think it's a really great service and I've really enjoyed what I've tried so far. So for $22 off your first Subscription month of Wink, which will be four bottles. Again, pick the mix of red and white. They'll send it to you based on your flavor profile. Go to trywink.com slash be there in five, the number five, Wink with a C also, don't forget. We'll be in the show notes to make it easier. You have to try, let me know how it is. I'm going to be doing tastings on my um, Instagram this week for fun. Nobody asked me to. I just love wine tasting and that's the only type of content I really have interest in providing. So stick around for that. I'll tell you what I like. Now we'll get back to the show. I'll tell you what about influencers is off-putting, but I had to do a, a briefly off-putting ad because I want you guys to drink wine with me and tell me what you think. So anyway, thanks. The other thing influencers do that I don't think they always realize is off-putting is when they get negative feedback or a rude DM and to screenshot it and respond to it, if it's in isolation, is unnecessary to me. And I think there needs to be a rule, like if 12 to 15 people DM you a critical mass, whatever percentage you deem of your following to be a decent sample size. If that many people misunderstand what you're saying or say something rude and you feel like you need to address it, then do it. But if it's one person, why invite somebody into your mess? Like why, why are you sharing that negative feedback with thousands, if not millions of other people when it was only one message? You know, I kind of don't really understand that. It's like shaming the person who gave you the feedback. It's just, it doesn't always sit well with me. And now you've implanted this negative thought in my head that I didn't have before. That's the one thing like uh, with addressing conflict, like I'm sure I've done that before, but even I've like checked myself to be like, if if this is one person's opinion, fine. Like I, I'm going to feel hurt by it. It probably will derail my night. I don't know how to not be sensitive, but I don't necessarily need to invite a bunch of other people to like pile on to 
this opinion that I'm trying to forget about, especially if it's not productive. But it is a problem when you're not willing, you know, and I said this with Ariel earlier, willing to take a step back, consider for a second that the people who trust you and who follow you and who've gotten you so famous and wealthy, not for a second think that there's any validity to their concerns, to their feedback, to a large you know, significant sample size of feedback that's like, I don't love this. This isn't right. This made us feel bad. Why'd you do this? Instead of being on the offense or the defense and just, you know, calling everybody a bully and like doubling down on your perspective, it really is. It's just, it. I just think it's so important to, you know, A, give influencers grace that they'll make mistakes because we make them all the time, just a lot less publicly. I've put my foot in my mouth so many times, like more than I can count. And I literally lie awake at night, terrified that I've said something out of context or accidentally rude on this podcast because there's like 70 episodes I'm never going to listen back to. Um, But, you know, uh, that's a choice I made and that's fine. But I also think we need to, you know, the influencer needs to accept feedback graciously and, you know, for a second consider if there's anything that they can be doing to improve moving forward because this is their job. Just like any job needs feedback. If we're the client, if we're the customer and we are their sole revenue source, then I think that, you know, just blocking and deleting and, you know, just absolutely not even considering for a second that there's any merit to the the backlash. It's, it's a shame and it's a mistake. And if part of the defense is you feeling misunderstood, then help me understand, you know, um, I... It's it's a weird uh, crossover of business and personal that depending on how you feel that day, you'll be like, this is my life. Get out of it. But then, you know, when it benefits you and you're profiting off of it, it's like, you know, let me open up my life and tell you everything. And I think that's where people get really frustrated. Anyway, a little bit off topic. Um, the last thing that I thought was interesting, I found some of these articles as it relates to uh, the how prolific uh, Mormon bloggers are is apparently there's a, a major priority or kind of a longstanding value in terms of the importance of, of record keeping and of journaling inside the Mormon church, which I thought was really interesting. Offering uh, church elders have long encouraged members to keep regular journals for the dual purposes of historical record keeping and promoting spiritual insight. And as a result, Mormons are championed journalers and scrapbookers. In the 2000s, church elders began officially promoting a new media technology, new media technologies like blogs as a way of spreading the gospel. And the Mormon blogging community soon became so large it earned itself a punny nickname, the Bloggernackle. There's another quote in this article that I made note of, um, kind of what I was talking to earlier, from an ex-Mormon that said, For young Mormon women who face immense cultural pressure to stay home with their children rather than pursue a career, blogging about their adventures and homemaking becomes a sort of creative outlet and a way of contributing to the larger world beyond the home. Again, nothing wrong with just contributing to the home, nothing wrong with a career, but I think putting yourself in the context of being... Um, wanting to maybe not like loving or wanting to primarily do kind of the more in-home tasks and wanting to have more of like a career or an outlet, it does make sense to like make a job out of the situation you're in if in the event there's like, in you know, more of an extreme and it's unavoidable. I understand that. It, it is a, a family life is a degree at BYU and I was reading the coursework and it is rich. Let me just tell you that much. <laughs> but basically, I kind of wanted to go through, you know, some of the different articles I read and um, what were the major tenets that might align with 
uh, Mormon women wanting to blog and being so good at blogging in terms of the focus on outward appearance and being great marketers and salespeople in terms of to get into heaven, you have to look sharp as hell in terms of uh, there being a potential in a more extreme circumstance if you're really encouraged or required to be in your home of having another outlet um, of being a prolific journal keepers and having a prioritization from a young age of keeping records. There's a lot of interesting reasons why there would be a, you know, propensity for these women to get into blogging. But just as uh, anecdotal comments from some people in the Facebook group and people that I've interacted with on Instagram, they seem to think, in their words, not mine, there is a heavy emphasis on comparison. There can be smaller groups of heavy judgment, again, prevalent in every religion. Um, and they're, you know, based on, you know, Brigham Young himself, like early prophets, and they're being like tenants of the importance of physical outward appearance on this earth and to get into heaven. That is a lot of pressure. And part of me is like, well, like maybe I'm low key, like gorgeous, glowing, wouldn't have had such a, you know, long seven year battle with cystic acne had I not drank or had you know, just like dunked my head, like bobbing for apples in a bucket of coffee every morning. But, you know, who's to say? It's like, it could be a little of everything. It could be nothing. I I just don't really know. But I, you know, to have a, it's like, it's one thing to be like a clean and tidy person or like, you know, your your spouse or your parents or whoever living with at the time, like when you dress a certain way and it's like casual and like, yeah, you'll abide by you know, arbitrary rules for different occasions, but like to have a fundamental tenet of your belief system be that it matters what you look like on the outside. Like no wonder it's prioritized. No wonder it's like finesse to perfection. No wonder everybody looks so great. I think what's also interesting about a lot of these women is they don't really outwardly say that they're Mormon or talk about the church that much. Some of them will have a tab that says like, we believe. I, one of my favorite, uh, oh, actually I already talked about her. Sydney from the day book. I don't know if she like has is, it blogs anymore, but I still follow her on Instagram. I just think she's really cute, but she's definitely gone through like a huge evolution over the years um, in terms of like, I think she's still uh, in the Mormon church, but she's also very into like different principles of spirituality. And when she was in, uh, had a podcast with her friend, it kind of made me laugh because they were talking about manifestation and like manifesting their office windows. But I swear, like one time the other girl said she like manifested a Toyota Corolla or something. And I was like, what? <laughs> like at least manifest like a Highlander or better yet. Like, I don't know about you guys, but it, in my high school, a Toyota for like a late 90s, early 2000s Toyota 4Runner might as well have been a Maybach because like that was the hottest car. That was like the token cool girl car or like a Jeep. And uh, I'd probably still go after the forerunner if I was like kind of the secret of car. But regardless, I thought that was like a smidge weird. Um, but that was in Sydney. That was another girl. But anyway, <laughs> off, off topic. In part two <laughs> of this discussion, pending nothing more exciting happens in the meantime. I do want to talk through kind of the darker side of this and um, examine some of the tragedies that have gone on the crimes the kind of mysterious circumstances by which people's husbands have disappeared uh missing persons psa that was put out within 24 hours with full hair and makeup and like high-end video production but like i said earlier i, I want to go through that i think it's interesting i think freckled fox is so interesting and ever-evolving 
Brit Lamore is like a super weird, scary watch out situation, like kind of from marrying somebody you don't really know that well. And um, just kind of a little bit more that I've read about kind of like suicide rates and op- opioid crises and just kind of examining, you know, the uh, what, uh, the perfection at what cost, you know, and not that all of, you know, correlation is not causation necessarily, but there's a lot of literature out there about this sort of thing that I think is important to note because we can fantasize and idealize these lives all we want, but we also need to remember that it's not just affecting people outside of the community. Sometimes the, the more, more oftentimes I'd imagine the far more harsh uh, impact is on people within the community. And uh, it makes me really sad. And I know everyone's not guilty of promoting impossible standards, but some certainly are. And I just think it's an interesting uh, conversation. But we are already past two hours if you've made it this far. So story for a different day. Anyway, I hope this was interesting. I struggle because I try to be unbiased and I try to only, you know, when it's stuff that is more hot topic, like about the religion itself, I want to only like quote people or, you know, lightly paraphrase because I, I'm not going to pretend like I know it all and I'm not going to pretend like I'm right. Um, but then I wrestle back and forth because I, I definitely do have an opinion about a lot of it. I just don't know if it's founded because, uh, you know, I, I personally do take a lot of issue with anything that, um, forces women into boxes that suppresses them, that makes them seem like delicate flowers who can only bear children and who need to stay in the home and need to cover up and, you know, it's your responsibility to cover yourself up so men don't look at you. They don't need to change their behavior. I I take such issue with any uh, extreme language and commitments bestowed upon children who don't understand better. Um, I have a huge issue with any religion whatsoever that um, makes it impossible to leave, that whose family, you know, won't talk to you anymore after you leave. That's like Scientology. I know a lot of people that have left the Mormon church that are still on great terms with their family members. Um, but I do know it's pretty hard to leave. And, um, but I also know that if I was taught all of those things about how the world works, how the afterlife works about those things were drilled into my brain, my entire life. Like, can you blame a person for not leaving? You know what I mean? It's like, that's what I mean by trying to understand where people are coming from. It's like, a lot of people really do go in on the Mormon church and compare it to other organizations that, you know, essentially kind of trap you. And I think anytime you're paying money to an organization and working so hard on their behalf and you are restricted to kind of a community and an area and a way of thinking and a homogenous look and lifestyle, people are you know going to be pretty harsh about it. I don't know enough to make a call, um, but I definitely, you know, would hope that for the women that want it to be this way, that they are considered and treated as equals within their own families, within their own marriage, and, um, you know, aren't in full control over verbatim uh, directives made by prophets in the 1800s. I mean, and that's even way more modern than the Bible. I won't get started on a lot of verbatim takes of scripture, but I don't know. I won't get started. I just think we live in a country where we're able to have freedom, exercise our freedoms. We're in a better state of gender equality than we've ever been in historically, even though it's nowhere close to where it needs to be. It's still a hell of a lot farther. And I just don't really understand why you'd step back. 
But I do also think people need to exercise more understanding, compassion, and empathy as it relates to anybody that grows up in any belief system. Because if somebody tells you something is black and white, you're going to believe it because that's what you were taught. That's how you were raised. That's how your brain was formed to think. And I don't fault anybody for being, especially if you're not a convert, like if you've been told your whole life something's true to you, it's true. And I respect that. And I understand that. Uh, Is everybody else going to think it's true? No, because we all have our own personal truths. But there's no way a passing conversation or an insult or, you know, whatever is going to deconstruct somebody's belief system. But I think it's important that within faith, within any belief system, that the constituents, for lack of a better term, are actively encouraged and allowed to express doubt, because that's the only way you can ever really be sure of anything, I think. And um, I don't think it should be viewed as a crime whatsoever. I think it should be viewed as a person who's rightfully exercising their critical thinking skills and wants to make sure that they're doing the right thing for them and their families. But one thing that um, somebody sent to me that stuck with me is how it kind of all makes sense in terms of outward appearances, because in an organization that takes attendance on Sundays, that keeps track of how much you tithe, that requires you to tithe, that controls, you know, what you eat and what you wear and if what you drink and, you know, asks you about your private life, you know, you get interviewed by the bishop from a young age, your public speaking and spreading the word from a young age. And I mean, when you factor in all of that, so much of it is about worshiping outwardly and less about inner spirituality. So it does kind of, you know, it it feels like it makes sense that there would be this focus on outward appearance and on how things look and on being like almost these beacons or shining examples in terms of its own form of like subtle marketing or not that's marketing makes it sound bad or like it's much more strategic than it is. But I mean, they truly are the best examples and the best salespeople of the Mormon church because their lives look absolutely incredible, uncomplicated and abundant. And it makes sense. Anyways, I hope this wasn't too all over the place. I think it's a thing where like I am not a journalist, but I do want to ground anything I'm saying about something I haven't experienced firsthand in like feedback from other people and articles I've read. And while you won't get a work cited for me because the work cited was the bane of my high school paper writing existence. What is the difference between a bibliography and a work cited? I don't remember. It's like, isn't it funny that like the, what is it? The APA or ALA standards. I'm like, are they the police? Am I going to get arrested here if I don't cite this properly and put like the author last name first? I mean, Isn't it funny how you think those things are like laws, but they're not? Anyway, um, lastly, I kind of wanted to highlight some of the ways people have like translated the blogging empires into like commerce, because I think that's interesting to highlight and what industries they've gotten into. People in the Facebook group were saying like, Plate with Kate is awesome and she has a pajama line, which I feel like I'm my name's Kate and my business is called Be There in Five. And I feel like we probably have a lot in common. I should really hop on board. That Jordan Page has a newly invented diaper bag coming out. Cake by Courtney has her own line of baking supplies. Mascara obviously has mascara. Um, Twist Me Pretty has curling irons and scrunchies, as we know, you know, with Barefoot Blonde and the extensions with Rachel Parcell and Rachel Parcell collection. Uh, Somebody say, I forget. Um, Anyways, I was just trying to jot these down because I, I think it's so cool that people are building businesses from these blogging empires clearly that stereotype isn't necessarily true in practice you know i've i just read so much stuff about how 
women are so encouraged to stay in the home. And to be fair, women might want to stay in the home. Like, there's like, that's great. There, my mom stayed at home with us. And like, literally, she went and got a part time job when I was in middle school. And like, S hit the F because we were all like, where's mom? Because <laughs> we were just so we used to we took advantage of her being home because it was so incredibly helpful. And I like respect so much that she did that for us. And I respect anybody who stays home. And I think it just depends on the person if that is kind of what fills your cup or not. And as I'll talk about later, the the it, the question, the, the, the thing in question is not to stay home or not to stay home. The thing in question is, is it your choice or not? Right. And I think it's so cool when, especially within a religion, that there might be the stereotype of women and not a stereotype. I mean, that was something I consistently heard across the board is, um, you know, on the one hand, it's quite revered to be a mother and to stay home. And it's seen as such an important job that, the you know, there's an encouragement for women to be focusing more so on family life. But, you know, in the event you find yourself, if somebody found themselves blogging because that was their creative outlet in kind of that patriarchal model, but then they turned it into an empire and then they can then share that with everybody else who may be in this faith and in a situation where they're feeling a little bit more stuck and would like to be doing something like that. What an outstanding example for a more progressive view, you know, within that community as well. So I think that there's like, it's kind of, there's, it's, there's, there's kind of a dual purpose I see here is in terms of serving as like these kind of faces for the religion and making it look like so together, so pretty, so polished, so appealing, so family oriented, so clean, so flawless. It's like a great billboard for the religion, which I have very mixed thoughts on if that's intentional, if it were intentional, like how bizarre that is, the implications of that kind of pressure for perfection. But then the, the, the second piece of that is if they are on the more progressive end of this religion, it's in, probably incredibly helpful for people viewing it that are in a more repressed part of it that want to have an example of people who are making it work for them in a more modern era. Because, you know, I don't really care what anybody does. I want people to do more of the things they want to do as long as they aren't hurting other people. I have no right to tell you how to think about something that you know a lot more about than me and have a lot more firsthand experience. Again, it's the commentary isn't on the faith itself. It's more so I can't, I can't support anything that doesn't give women a choice in any capacity, as you all well know. I don't care if you choose the thing that I don't believe in, but I care that you have the ability to choose otherwise. Uh, the other thing that like, I want to mention as it relates to the businesses that I think makes this so confusing is I respect anybody so much who goes out on their own and who's brave enough to, to own their own gig. But it, with these types of bloggers, what's so confusing is we don't really see the work getting done. And where I think like, I don't have kids. So if, if, you know, I were a mom, I'd probably harp on like, who is cleaning up all of that? Like, where are the kids? Where are the nannies? Where are the babysitters? How do you get to leave at night? How do you go to those workout classes? Like, because I even think that too, because my hang up with kids sometimes is I'm like, I can't believe I can't go to Trader Joe's. And I have to take the kid with me everywhere. Like the second it leaves my body, I, I must, it must be attached to my body or I must hire help or like have family in town. Cause like, I love Tugboat so much, but like he chills here while I'm at, while I'm at Trader Joe's. I can feel all of you mother's collective eyes rolling at me. <laughs> I know it's, I'm, I'm such a moron. I, I have issues. I'm a youngest child. Forgive me. So I think about that a lot. But aside from that, the thing I think about 
is who, like, how did you set this business up? And we didn't, if we didn't really see it being built, like sometimes I'll see people like in their gorgeous office that just says like fresh florals and beautiful wallpaper and like, I don't know, distressed Persian style pink and gray rugs from Lulu in Georgia and just like sandal or diptyque candles aplenty. And I'm like, cool, you have an office. It's beautiful. Great. There's people working there. They're at desks. There are these like shiny shellacked white desks with ginormous IMAX and like really nice white leather chairs. Like, what are they doing? Who does what? How did you guys set up manufacturers, a supply chain? What's your backup plan? How did you, you know, t- safety test samples? How do you handle customer service? How do you handle shipping? Do you have a drop shipper? Do you do it in-house? Did you start doing it in-house? Like, how did you get enough money to outsource to all of these partners? How... How do you like hire people that you you trust when you're like a semi-public figure or people like starting, stopping, quitting all the time, having trouble, like keeping childcare around? Is it like exhausting that they have to take your pictures? I, how do you how are you constantly coming out with new products and doing these giant brand collabs that really do take like a strong eye for business to be able to negotiate properly? Because I know having done business with major retailers, they've tried to gouge you. And like there's so many contracts, there's so many like small business details. There's you know, if, if people calling themselves designers, but I'm like, are you just going to a showroom being like this, that, that, and that? How are you mindful of when you're copying people? You know, there's like always a lot of scandal with that because I think people get involved with companies that make samples that are based off of high fashion that are in a more fast fashion capacity that they maybe don't even realize are knockoffs. Maybe sometimes they do. I don't know. I do remember there being a very uncomfortable uh, day where Rachel Parcell's line came out and she was wearing a dress that was like so startlingly similar to Julia Engel's from Gal Meets Glam. And she actually, wing to wing, like handles the process. I, she does do the design. She does pick out the fabrics. Her and Thomas, I think, build their own full like supply chain and process that obviously they, you know, have uh, business partners that help them with. But I see theirs as being way more of a wing to wing ownership, less of a licensing deal, where I assume like something Navy and Rachel Parcell are far more like licensing deals as it relates to Nordstrom. But I could be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure Emily from Cupcakes and Cashmere is more of a licensing deal situation. doesn't mean it's not hard work. It doesn't mean that it's not extremely involved. But those are two very different forms of of doing business. Because when you think about like, oh, my God, having like four kids under five and trying to run that while trying to run and launch a business while trying like looking good doing it and like traveling all over. There's got it. There has to be an army. It ha- There has to be a village. And we're just not seeing the village. Ugh, anyway, I just I would love more help that I would I specifically I would love money to properly pay the right talent I need for the type of stuff I want to do. But like, I'm just not there yet. And these people just like, you know, at the onset of these like of seemingly efficient operations and that it is one of many things that I obsess over. I know we touched on kind of the MLM topic earlier, um, but I do gather that this is that is kind of like a broader theme And I've just, I don't know, I've had like a lot of interesting conversations lately, I think, especially since I've been like a little bit more outspoken about like uh, Rachel Hollis and co. And I don't know, I'm just so obsessed with like this like self-helpy world we live in of everybody trying to find all the answers with one guru, one spiritual concept. And I just, you know, a friendly reminder at the end of a podcast that rambled all sorts of opinions don't take take all advice with a grain of salt mine included all of us are just trying to figure our own stuff out and giving you bs advice that we probably need to hear the most so truly nobody is your guru a a variety of sources that you choose yourself that you identify with 
that you combine to work with your life in the best way that it can that makes sense for you and doesn't isolate people, ostracize people, make you too preachy or make you, you know, pay thousands of dollars to go to a conference and thus putting your family in the hole because you, for some strange reason, think you need some random person in an auditorium to motivate you. Like, no, none of that shit. Like, let's just have our own opinions. Like, everybody else is a human. I cannot reiterate that enough. Nobody, like, they're, like, pe- I just, anyways, <laughs> if I'll get worked up. Nobody is, like, uh, better than you, more spiritual than you, has access to different information than you. You are a capable, intelligent person that is able to make your own calls about your own life and anybody who's telling you that's like God or somebody is talking to them or that they have some sort of special power or uniqueness is, you know, they're right. They do have a special power and that power is um, narcissism and delusion because they are make, they, they've developed this complex for, so you feel less than, so you feel like you need to pay them to be told how to run your own life. And when you're feeling that loss that you feel like you need to pay somebody else to run your life, is when you need to regain your strength, regain your power, and not through a motivational speech, but through education, through information, through connecting with people that mean a lot to you, that you trust, that you can develop relationships with, that you can tell them what's going on. You need to do things that actually are nuanced and subjective and helpful to your own life and your own situation and not use somebody else's privileged or wealthy or whatever situation as a proxy for how you should be living your own life because it's not realistic. Okay, I won't get worked up this episode. I just really need like Tony Robbins to step off my gown. Like you're it's it's criminal to charge people thousands of dollars and then like scream at them in a room and claim that you're changing lives and really like you're probably a creep. And here's the thing. Some of his videos are good. Like that's my point. Watch YouTube videos, read books, read lots of books, listen to audiobooks, listen to podcasts. Like if you need external motivation, that's totally fine. I do sometimes too. But you can't be wholly dependent on it and you can't get yourself in a cycle where to get to the next level of motivation and you crave it more and more and more. You keep having to pay somebody because the most successful people are in- intrinsically motivated. They find it within themselves. You can get kickstarted with external help, but you can't sustain anything you're doing with external help. And I just really want people to understand that who are paying to go to these things. And it, it's and I guess maybe I'm thinking about it because there is kind of an MLM tie, especially to Utah and a lot of. Mormon mothers who are running MLMs from home, which I'll get into later, but I just think people fall for these marketing tactics and don't exhaust all of the free options that are available. There's so many free options that are available. There's so many ways you can learn and teach yourself so many things. And if you're not motivated to find those free things and to tap into all your resources, I'm going to guess you probably don't have a lot of time to do that. And the first thing you need to be an entrepreneur is a shit ton of time. So please, please, please do not think that these conferences are going to turn you into some major mogul. Because like, if you really have that in you, you are going to have the motivation to figure it out first and to be so motivated and excited first. Because if you're not that excited, if you're not so excited, you don't want to sleep and you want to get up and just like research and make things happen and build. If you don't have that, then you shouldn't be starting a business because that's the best it's ever going to be. It's kind of like when people are in awful relationships, like the first few months and everything's like such a struggle. I'm like, this should be simple. This is like theoretically the most enamored you're ever going to be with the person. Like this is not very promising for the duration of your relationship. If, if like the simplest time is is somehow still complicated, life gets harder, life gets more complicated. And I just think we need to not fall for the messaging that we need to be more, that we need to be doing something else. Like don't listen to these people online. Don't listen to these Pinterest quotes that Rachel Hollis pa- like plagiarizes. Like you're fine the way you are. You're, you're in... You'll probably always have been doing the best you can. If you're not doing the best you can and you could admit that, k- kudos to you for the self-awareness. 
seek help from a professional or from people that are close to you or watch a bunch of free stuff to, to, to help yourself out the other side. And please, for the love of God, do not waste your family's hard-earned money and your children's college fund and whatever other amazing life experiences you could be having with the people you love to go buy yourself to a conference with, with like a bunch of faux friends. I'm sorry, was that too harsh? I might take that out. Uh, we'll see. Anyway, back to blogging. <laughs> I'm not sure what I was saying. I, that's my cue. When I start to get like heated about things that like maybe are on, on topic, but like are in my head, so I have to get them out, then I'm like, okay, you got to go. I mean, two and a half hours. This is a joke. Guys, I'm, you know, I hope you'll forgive me for this one. I had a lot to say and like strange, I still have more to say. And I don't even, yeah. Anyways, thank you so much for your patience and for listening. And, you know, I, I, I had a great time. And I feel like this is kind of how the discussion goes. Like I don't have one, uh, you know, I don't have one narrow uh, perception or idea about any of this. I see it from a lot of different angles. And I think due to the, you know, glory of the internet and the Facebook group, I can see it from a lot of different angles that I wanted to present. And hopefully next time we'll have like a, you know, we can have a juicier discussion surrounding some of the scandals involved, though I don't like to speak at the expense of anybody. But some of these things are absolutely crazy. And if you haven't listened to my podcast um, long term, you probably didn't hear me talk about them before. So we'll dig into that next week. And in the meantime, uh, go to patreon.com slash be there in five. I did a Hamilton deep dive act one. It's up there. It's long and has songs interjected. I talk about a lot of motifs and rhyme schemes and literary devices and all sorts of stuff I that probably nobody wanted to hear about <laughs> as it relates to Hamilton. And I put up some interesting T. Swift, uh, as the kids say, T, but I feel ridiculous saying that at the $5 level just because the person was like, you know, keep this under wraps. Um, but I, it's like stuff like that. I do want to reward people that invest more money. I think that's the whole point, right? Uh, especially those that have been supporting this this whole time. Don't forget to go to wink.com, W-I-N-C.com, and use promo code be there in 5 the number 5 for $22 off your first wink wine order and drink with me. And um, please email me at podcast at be there in five.com. Don't forget we have a hotline. I still have some questions I need to go through at 312-379-9676. That number's in the show notes. And it is also in my podcast story highlights on be there in five's Instagram. It is also in the bio of be there in five podcast Instagram if you need to find it. And beyond that, I hope everybody has a great week. Look forward to hearing from you. Join Be There in 5 podcast, totally casual, breezy Facebook group. And uh, don't answer Taylor Swift or Meghan Markle. Please be descriptive. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. As always, please give me a little grace if I spoke out of turn. I, I get so nervous with these hot button topics, but I find them interesting. And I don't want to avoid them altogether in fear of people disagreeing. Because as I said, we need to accept feedback with as much grace as we hope people will give us if we're not always perfect. But alas, here we are. Thank you guys so much for being so awesome, so engaged, so supportive on the Facebook group, Instagram, and otherwise. Never hesitate to reach out. And if I don't respond, just follow up because they'd be there in five of it all. You know, good intentions, terrible follow through. <laughs> anyway, love you so much. Seriously, thank you. Thank you for listening to this very long episode. And I look forward to seeing you next week. And as always, let me know your thoughts and I will most certainly let you know mine. I'll be there in five, I swear. Bye.